if you were to die, if you were to become like a Pirates of the Caribbean type skeletal crewman, or you're going to become like a ghost or something, and you were sentenced to 100 years of servitude, how would you spend that servitude? Would it be in, in protection of something? Would it be in seeking something? Would it be in just laying in the ground and just hoping that it's going to be over soon? If you were sentenced to 100 years of servitude, how would you spend that 100 years? All right, roll initiative. Yeah, that's it. I got a one. I got a 13. So if I was to die and had to spend 100 years doing something in servitude, what would I want to do? Um, paperweight. You just want to sit still and do nothing? For a hundred years as a skeleton, sure. Why the hell not? Or, or, uh, fetch me a book. Oh, yeah, I'll go get you a book. Bring you a book. What next? Fetch me a cup of water. I'll go get you a cup of water. What next? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going into the servitude side of things because really, maybe they want me to do the reading for them and the research for them. I'm down for that. I could do that. Honestly, if I'm going to be a skeleton, all I can think about is boning for a hundred years. Gross. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities, where we look at some of the clattering humanoids out there that can make up the enemy armies in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I'm Adam, and with me today is Dan, and this episode is called Skeleton Mobs, Skull the Conqueror. Very nice. That was for you, Dan. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 you I, always I, rip on my puns, and this one was catered to you. Anyway, we've reached out to our army of friends and allies to help us break down what a skeleton mob looks like in 5th edition. Um, but first, though, let's jump into the basics on what a skeleton actually is. What, what, what do we know about skeletons and how are they different than zombies? They're the main enemies of He-Man. No. Well, Skeletor. Yeah, if, if any, he was a skull lord with only one head. I guess that's true. So, skeletons and zombies are... Always in the same conversation. As a matter of fact, I think it was episode 36 or so um, where we lumped them together and talked about them literally as one big mob Yeah. Uh, when we did this in the past. So um, obviously we spent the last couple of episodes talking about all the crazy different kinds of zombies and there are a lot. Oh yeah. And some really cool unique ones too. Like when I first said, let's do an episode on zombies, I rolled my eyes at it and said, okay, so this one with more hit points, but... No, there's a lot more shit going on there. Yeah, I mean, when you have things like ash zombies and plague zombies and... The husk zombies yeah. and the yellow musk creeper. And, like, there was some cool stuff in yeah. there. Plus the T-Rex spewing. <laughs> that was so cool. Right. So, um, we have some really crazy, interesting things for skeletons, too. As we sat down and did the prep on this, I realized that there was a fuck of a lot more to talk about with skeletons than I realized. Mm -hmm. But we need to know the difference between... You know, our bony friends and our fleshy friends. So that is how I'm going to refer to them from Can now on. Can we not? So, yeah. So um, the big thing, first of all, is that these guys are, once again, animated by dark magic. We really kind of hammered that home with the zombies because yeah. they're, it's not a plague, which well, we're used to. it makes to. more sense for skeletons to be the dark magic than the plague. The, of course. The, they don't have the, a circulatory system. Well, yeah. The conflict with, with that always comes exclusively, in my mind, from zombies yeah. because we are inundated with popular media which says that if you get bit you'll turn 
Yeah. Where that's not the case in 5e. No, not at all. Right? So... Yeah, it's um, necromantic magic over there, right? And yeah. so that's what we're dealing with again here. I mentioned it uh, in the last episode how when it comes to having like arcane magic... Uh, animating the dead like this. I like there to be some sort of physical representation of the arcane magic doing that animation. Um, so like if it's uh, a necromancer, you know, reinvigorating a the corpse of a zombie or whatever it is, you know, he's throwing that gem in there or there's uh, ribbons with arcane sigils hanging off of them. Yeah, you like to have the physical... I like to have the physical representation. Skeletons? Nah, man, they're just bone. There's not going to be something like nestled inside there. No, and... but you can have like carvings on the bones. Yeah, carvings is... of like the runes along the bones. Or you could go full Diablo 2 and just have that one gem in the middle of the skull. The other thing, too, that I like about skeletons, this is how I flavor for myself, is I have them have little green pinpoints of light inside their eye sockets. Yeah, uh, you've actually used that to great effect as well because you've used those pinpoints as pupils almost, and like you could see what direction the zombie yeah, and uh, the skeletons look. And they don't cast light, but they glow in the dark too, right? Like you can see a couple dozen of these pinpoints coming at you, and like it's, I, I've used them for set dressing essentially as well on on my combat encounters. But um, the thing that really stood out to me, though, the difference between skeletons and zombies is skeletons are smarter. Uh, yes. But they're only like a modicum more intelligent. So the, the general idea here is that a zombie will go the most direct route from point A to point B, you know, for it, its um, objective. Yeah. A skeleton will go the most direct, safest route to get there, but they will continue to get there. Yeah. A zombie will bang on that door and try to smash it down. A skeleton will try the doorknob first. Skeletons do have that level of intellect about them. It's right in the book. That doorknob thing is right out of the monster manual. Yeah, I I was going to say, like, it's kind of weird that skeletons are the ones that have the muscle memory. Yeah, right. But (laughs) again, it's it's back to this magic, right? The idea that skeletons will pick up tools and use them. They are very literal. And so you can't use, like, metaphors when dealing with skeletons, but... They're Drax. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> Except they don't think they're invisible. Um, but they can complete basic tasks if they're instructed directly to do it. Mm-hmm. But those tasks can be something like loading a catapult or using a battering ram. Zombies can't do that. So that's that level of intellect that, that we're talking about here. Okay. There's just a little bit more to it. They can communicate as well, whereas zombies can't. Zombies just... But... Skeletons don't even have vocal cords, so all they can do is point, nod, shake their head. Clatter. Uh, yeah, but they've got like um, somatic components only to their to their communication. Yeah, there's no verbal to them at all. No. no, not at all. And as a matter of fact, when we talked about an episode, whatever, 36, I think it was called Boning Up on Undead because I'm funny like that. Yeah. Um, well, funny's a stretch. Well, anyway, so <laughs> it's better than being sad like you, Dan. The uh, <laughs> Now you're pouting and proving my point. The... Thing that I uh, that we talked about before was using skeletons for riddles and saying things and mm-hmm. speaking and whatnot, and that's not by the book. It's not rules as written in fifth edition. No, but at the same time, magic mouth is a spell. Yeah, absolutely, it is, and I would very much have that. Yeah, or you know, its job is to hold up the scroll and just like point at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, and, and a skeleton looks sassy. Oh, almost, almost definitely. Just the tilt of the head and like swinging the hips. Wrong kind walk. of sassy. I mean, yeah. I mean, like you dumbass players look at the thing here, not the hey, how you doing? I don't understand. 
That is the only level of sass that I will acknowledge. Okay. Um, but no, they so they can communicate. There is a little bit of role-playing, but it's very, very straightforward. And you have to keep in mind, too, that skeletons, they do the same thing that zombies do. They will kill flesh bags, the living, that they see. They will kill them if given the opportunity, right? Their default base level of existence is attack the living. Yeah. However, if they're given... Um, instruction not to or they have a higher priority they will peel back from that where zombies won't when you walk up to a zombie that zombie will come at you yeah um if they're freed from the master's control and there's not a flesh bag around for the bony friends to uh interact with they will often end up doing some sort of pantomime of an infinite loop um of of what they used to do in their regular life so, for example, it says in the book, miners will pick up an item and try to mine. They will sit there and work away at a stone wall, even if no. it's hewn stone in a castle, right? So, And they will, if it was a farmer, they will sit there and pick up some sort of rake or hoe and they will, they will work the ground with it. Yeah. Even if it's the same thing over and over and over to the point where either the tool breaks or the... Um, the ground or the wall gives way and it caves in on the skeletons and like this kind of infinite loop will get them into trouble. But then when they can no longer do it for whatever reason, it'll stop them again and they will try to find the next thing, the next infinite loop for them to get stuck in. Okay. So as much as there is the idea of the, of the um, necromancer controlling them and they have a master, whether it's a lich or a death knight. They do have limited autonomy. Yeah, and they if they get freed in any way, so you kill the necromancer, what are the skeletons going to do? I usually, when I run them, the skeletons collapse under... They're like the Chitari from Avengers? Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, they, they collapse under the lack of will now being placed to keep them up. But Raise Dead isn't a concentration spell. No. Right? So that doesn't track... No. With the rules. They've, they've got to get up and they stay up and they are still a threat until they're all dealt with. Yep. And look, honestly, I see the army of skeletons moving because they can use tools. You can put armor and put weapons in their hands. And they so can and shoot so bows and arrows. And yeah, like uh, that, yeah. Which is more than a zombie can do, right? Yep. If the zombie is not holding a weapon, they will not use a weapon. And if they drop the weapon, they won't pick it up. No. A skeleton very much will go after the next the, the next weapon they can use. But if you've got this army of skeletons, and let's say that half of them were actual soldiers in their life, the other half were just cadavers that were raised. Mm-hmm. When the necromancer dies or when the fight is over, when there's no more orders to be given, the soldiers will continue to march to the next thing to fight. But the ones that didn't will stop and start to work the fields. They will go and kill all the people in the farmhouse and all of the animals in the farm, like in the barn as well. And then sow and, and reap the... The, the crops yeah, yeah, and like yeah. they will get stuck in this. So you will have weird skeleton, not civilizations necessarily, but little um, encampments, little communities of the skeletons just going through the same thing over and over. It's kind of soul crushing and haunting. That That's in a, a very interesting tableau to throw at a, at a uh, you know, party of new players. Yeah. Who are just expecting like Jason and the Argonauts level skeletal threat. Yeah. Right. But no, man, like walking up to a town and seeing like empty, rotting bags of flesh everywhere and the skeletons are up just continuing about their menial business until you come within their realm of periphery. 
Yeah, right? and then whoever sees you is going to attack you. Yeah. It's a stealth mission to get through this village, right? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That That's a lot of fun, and it's kind of baked into the flavor. You're not going to get that with zombies. Zombies are... No. So, um, one of the things that we automatically know about skeletons is that they're undead type. Yep. Um, they're also lawful evil, with the one exception that we're going to talk about. That makes sense. They follow orders and they're bastardization of life and and they're stuck in the routine they're yeah. not chaotic by any means no they are they are textbook order yeah when i first think of skeletons in dd when i first ran across them i thought of army of darkness okay. where they're all sitting there clashing the the bits and pieces of the uh, weapons versus yep. the shields and they're they're like a almost barbarian horde but they're bones mm-hmm. but in reality they're more like the suits of armor and stuff in bed knobs and broomsticks Yes. Yeah. Right. That, so, that's, yeah. Um, and obviously undead. So they do not require uh, air, which again, underwater, undead, always fun. Uh, food, drink, or sleep, which means if their task is to follow you, you had better outpace them because while well, you are resting, they are not. Yeah. Um, and of course, they're all vulnerable to bludgeoning and they're immune to poison and they cannot suffer from the poisoned or exhausted conditions. This makes sense. No, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a uh, question. Yep. With your skeletons, what is holding the joints together? Magic. Just magic. magic. Just and magic. Just, There's not like little like little strands of leftover sinew holding everything together? No, it's just magic. All right. Um, I can... Look, I will raise a skeleton that has been in the ground rotting for like 400 years. There's nothing organic. There's no squishy bits left except the bone. Um, things like kneecaps and stuff. That are floating bones that don't really have a lot of... Magic, t- man. Yeah. So, But they're still there. Yeah, magic. Cool. Even like, the little ear bones are floating beside the yeah, skull. Yeah, like just rattling inside the skull. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it. Um, and the other thing that they have, because of course they do, it's 5th edition, is they have dark vision. It's 60 feet because of course it is. That's what we're used to. Yep. Um, and again, the reason that they have it is magic. Honestly, when it comes to skeletons, when you stop to think about why, the answer simply is a wizard did it. It is just magic. Sometimes that wizard is Orcus. Yep. Right? But it is the idea that there is a person that has purposefully created these things. Or at least created some sort of um, desecrated area that will trigger these things to come up. The uh, uh, ritual or a curse or something that will befall a kingdom to raise these, but it's done on purpose. You don't have accidental skeletons. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that we mentioned kind of a little bit before was um, the fact that they can communicate with a nod and whatnot. Also, they do understand any language that they understood while they were alive. Now it says that they can't speak it, but are you above having a, um, skeleton write sentences in the dust on the wall or on the f- on the dirt on the floor. That's a damn good question, and that's gonna. I, I honestly, I'd like to address that later. Remind me of that when we start talking about okay. home brewing skeletons because they do get um, modifiers to their mental stats. Yeah, and so depending on whether or not it's the skeleton of a mage, it's going to be a whole lot different than the skeleton of a barbarian that's barely barely literate in the first place. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to depend on your. Your intelligence modifier. Um, I, the, at the, the end of the day, the reason why for our the reason why I ask for why I ask. Tell us for why. For why, Daniel? For uh, why? Uh, I miss Terry now. Oh. Anyways, uh, the reason why I ask is 
we've already established that skeletons are going to go after the meshy, uh, fleshy meat bags and kill life. Yeah. Right? If given no ulterior directives, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. So the idea of one, like, drawing out instructions to you sounds weird. Like, it, it probably wouldn't happen. It but Unless it was told to do that. Unless it was told to do and so. And it would have to be a very simple thing. They're not going to sit there and write out a Shakespeare Right, uh, uh, play like they're, they're four not, score and seven years ago. Yeah, not Shakespeare, but I get what you mean. So, um, so the idea that they could technically write tracks with me, but they wouldn't. wouldn't. Not, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. like it's it's not within unless their, otherwise directed, and and they're not going to be communicating with other skeletons because why would they? It's not part of their infinite loop, and it's not part of their instruction. Okay. So there are some thematic differences as well between skeletons and zombies. I mean, zombies moan and they stink Mm -hmm. and they thump into things. Skeletons don't. Skeletons don't make noise. They don't make vocal noises. You don't have them like clattering or making like that rattling noise or... Yeah, but they don't have a vocal noise that they make, right? It's not the moans and groans of a zombie. Okay. Also, they don't smell. They don't have the flesh to no, stink. No, if if anything, they smell like dust or old parchment or something. Exactly, right? right. And you'd have to get real close to smell a skeleton. Their armor, their clothing may stink, but the skeleton itself does not. If it's rotten, wet wood that they're holding up as a shield, if it's old robes that have become mildewy, then you would smell it. Yeah. But it's not going to permeate stench the way that a zombie does. My only thing is... If they are wearing armor, if they're wearing, if they're using weapons or tools or whatever it is that they had with them when they died, if the flesh is gone and decayed to nothingness, the not, no, not necessarily. Death. Leather's been cured. I guess that's true, right? Like for some of it, I'm with you. Like linens and and whatnot, your robes will disintegrate pretty quickly. Yeah, but your armor should should stick around for It'd be a in while. Poor disre- a state of disrepair, but. and it always is. When you look at the stat block, it ta- it talks directly in it about the rotted out um, armor that's in yeah. disarray that gives them AC, but not as good as you would expect considering what they're wearing. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, and when it comes as, into like thumping into things, like I say. Skeletons have enough wherewithal to avoid bumping into things. They will still clatter inside their suit of armor or their their hard bones hitting stone steps will. But if you were to take one in leather armor and have it walk through a field, I'm not sure you're going to hear much. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, so the thing is, they move with purpose. That is that is how they, they interact with the world. If... You know, I always said if it's a soldier, they're going to march. And if it's a farmer, they're going to farm. If it's an assassin, they will know how much noise they're making and go quieter. Mm -hmm. Right? So the idea that you can have stealthy skeletons tracks for me. But can skeletons learn? Learn? No. They can follow orders and they have a base semblance of what their skills were in their past life. Okay. The soul is gone. The intention is gone. The intelligence is gone. But they are following habitual muscle memory, for lack of a better term. So like an assassin who is made into a skeleton would understand that he's being noisy, would kind of understand the best, quietest, stealthiest way to get to a target. But wouldn't necessarily be able to... He wouldn't put on leather shoes to stop his footfalls, but he would go slowly and stick to the shadows. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what he's capable of doing. Yeah, okay. They don't really have problem solving so much as what is the simplest, easiest thing for me to do right now. And again, I'm not going to add stealth 
to a skeleton stat block, I'm going to add the skeleton traits from the DMG to an assassin stat block. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we should point out is just like mechanically speaking, zombies are easier to hit, but they last longer. You got more hit points. Yeah. Their AC is just fucking abysmal. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have a whack of hit points. Skeletons don't, but they get ranged attacks. They're equipped with bows and they technically are slightly better laborers because they can do these complex um, tasks and whatnot. And with that immunity to exhaustion, there's no... And and refusal to sleep, like the, the lack yeah. of need to sleep, right? Like they well, just that's, true, that's true for zombies too. Zombies are immune to that shit Yeah, as well. I guess that's true. But their flesh is going to fall apart in time, right? The idea that is... And then they become skeletons and then they're better. No, that's not how it works. There's not a skeleton <laughs> hidden inside zombies. Isn't there though? There isn't. There's the potential for a skeleton inside a zombie. If the zombie falls and a necromancer comes by and goes, oh, hey, look, a skeleton. Okay. No, actually, we're going to get into this now because I have a problem with this. Oh, yeah? If you... And I, I, I don't know if this is something we'll talk about later, so we're just going to talk about it now. Sure. If you have a player character die... Yep. Okay? Gentle Repose isn't cast on them. They don't get resurrected before there's no they get... There's no Revivify. There's yeah, no yeah. Revivify. And they get turned into a zombie. Yep. That character... Those calling magics to riv uh, to once you resurrect. are undead, you cannot be resurrected. So my question is: once you are undead, can you become a different type of undead? If you are a zombie and you are thus dispatched as a zombie, can you then have your skeleton raised to be a skeletal warrior of some sort? Okay, so here's my thought process on this. Okay, you are a corpse. Yeah, corpse. Well, so there's no semblance of life left. And you are raised to be a physical manifestation. I don't mean specter, ghost, shadow. Yeah. I mean the your physical, your corporeal body is raised up. Skull Lord, Revenant, whatever it is. Bam, there you go. You cannot be revived. You can't be resurrected and whatnot until you are returned to corpse status. Okay. In my head, the way that I play it is an undead spirit inhabits your body. That's not really the way that it no, should work, no, yeah, yeah. but you are inhabited. There's no room for your soul because there's necromantic magic in the way. Yeah, but if you dispatch the thing and say, get rid of that necromantic soul or or the, the, yeah. that thing that's taken up the place, you're saying that then you can put the, like, find the original soul, put it back in there and reanimate yeah. it. I, I, I would say so. Okay. I, I, that's not the way I have run things in the past. Not that this has come up often in 25 years yeah. of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Well, no, it, it's but. a good question. Here's, a, here's another one for you. Can If a zombie falls, can you raise it again as another zombie? That, and that's the thing. I go, well, the no. magic has already done its wear on that. Like, I. So the reason that it falls in my head is that there's so much damage that the thing that it was cast upon, the same way that if I cast a spell upon a clay pot and the clay pot breaks mm -hmm. it's no longer the clay pot therefore that magic does not apply to it any longer magic needs targets but if you glued all those shards of the clay clay pot back together then i can do it again or i can cast it on a unique piece for example a crawling claw 
Okay, um, I'm with you on that. All one. right, or the skeleton out of the flesh of a zombie. I'm I'm just looking forward to the social encounter of a ghost talking to its skeleton with like the fleshy remnants of the zombie on the ground. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that that can happen. In okay, in my opinion, that can happen. But remember as well, if you are a ghost, then your soul has been warped by necromantic magics. And so you cannot be revivified or res- or true resurrected or any of that shit because you're a ghost. You are undead. You have to be dissipated I'm off a- into the ether before I, you can be brought back. I am going into so many different little rabbit trails here because I'm like, can a ghost possess its own previous form? Absolutely it can. Why would it not be able to? But it, would, it wouldn't become its old... Like, if Joe the farmer died and became a... Both a ghost because of the tragic circumstances of his death and a zombie because there just so happens to be a necromancer involved in those tragic circumstances. Keep when on. they come back together, like the, the the act of being undead and the act of being controlled by the necromancer has warped his mind, warped his soul, warped his essence in such a way that he is now not a... The, he's not Joe anymore, or whatever I said his name was to begin with. It's <laughs> it's now like this weird husk of a human. Like, I'm pretty sure there's been a supernatural about this. This sounds like a supernatural. Yeah, sure. Plot, yeah. Right? So what are you looking up there, Adam? So under Ghost in the Monster Manual, there is a actual thing that you can do. There is an action called Possession. One humanoid that the ghost can see within five feet of it must succeed on a... I, I don't need to read anymore. One humanoid. Well, our undead humanoids. Let's jump over to skeletons or, or zombies. Pick one. Uh, whatever one you find first. Uh, I'm going to jump on zombies because I just ha- happened to open it up. And we have medium undead, not a humanoid. Therefore, a ghost cannot possess its body. This is a problem we have had with 5th edition for a long time. That they have the one uh, categorizing trait. Not multiple. Like a fairy dragon is just a dragon. It's not a fairy and a dragon. Yeah, it's not also right. fae. Uh, yeah, I have this this argument. I always homebrew that my own way. Yeah. But still, no. An undead is an undead. I'm not going to have a ghost actually inhabit a a undead, a zombie walking around. Because again, I think there's necromantic magic in the way. But can they inhabit their corpse? Yes, I think they can. It, their own corpse would be the exception to the rule then in your mind any corpse any corpse well the revenant can run around and, and hit any other corpse yes and then that corpse eventually twists its form to become what the revenant was should, yeah, yeah right. was right so so the idea that a corpse lying there is an empty husk to be possessed kind of already exists in fifth edition okay cool so anyway we're totally off topic now yeah, but sorry <laughs> let, let, let's let's come back do you think that skeletons could be trusted to oversee a zombie workforce. And would a zombie ever attack a skeleton? Um, yes and yes, although it's like middle management. The, the skeleton's the guy asking the zombie to, you know, make sure it fills out the TPS report by the weekend. I feel like the zombies are the ones that are just walking back and forth while they've got a cart lashed to them. And so, and it's full of coal and then they come back and, and the skeleton stops them. As more skeletons load it up, and then the zombie moves it. Like, zombies are beasts of burden at yeah, best. Well, yeah, the, the, with this whole cart analogy, the, the zombies are pulling the cart. Yeah. The skeleton is driving the cart. Yeah. Right? And and I, yes, 
but like it it's they're just a step. They're not two it, steps it, above. Yeah, it's, just it's, like, no, it's not even manager. It, it's like assistant supervisor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so right. assistant to the assistant regional manager. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it's that guy. Um, okay. The only time that I ever see a skeleton or a zombie fighting is if they are either confused about what they're interacting with. For example, you cast minor illusion to give a skeleton flesh and the zombie will come after it. Okay. Or you do something like uh, command them to go fight that. A necromancer PC should have zombies be able to attack skeletons. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that right. one. Right. And that's just the command. I, I see no reason. Like, by their base nature, they never would. They would just walk by each other by their base nature because yeah. undead doesn't see undead in my mind. Um, but unless commanded, otherwise, yeah. yeah. Right. All right. So the last thing uh, that I'm going to jump into before we break for our little commercial here is uh i want to talk about all the things that we're not going to cover okay we're not covering skull lords we're not covering any of the other kinds of undead it has to be a skeleton or skeletal type monster we will be covering skull lords in oh a, in the in, a in, future. A, in the future we yeah. you and i just talked about like what are we doing in the you know distant horizon and skull lords will come up we promise you oh well we're gonna do a big deep dive into undead yeah. eventually but for the mobs that doesn't apply here, right? Um, also, there are a number of weird stat blocks that exist kind of in and around all of the other... Um, the modules. Yeah, the books and stuff. But they're not true skeleton stat blocks. So there's a reskinning of a rat swarm uh, to be skeletal rats and descent into Avernus. Of course there is. Um, there's a quick suggested encounter in Storm King's Thunder for a Thunder Beast skeleton. I don't even know what a Thunder Beast is. Uh, it's basically a large dinosaur that has lightning attacks. Sure, okay. Um, there's a giant shark skeleton in Sleeping Dragon's Wake, which is a sequel to the Adventure in the Essentials kit available on D&D Beyond. So it's 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 also half official as well. It's one of these weird ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... These all seem to be afterthoughts. These are not true skeletons. The the, way that these are just fun little encounters. These are things that you could homebrew, but we're not going to cover them here. No, and it is just reskinning. It it says, do this, add the skeleton block uh, out of the DMG, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not a true proper stat block. And, and because they're skeletons and they're kind of one note as it is, we're not going to go into them like we did with the Booyog, 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 which was just a take a mage and make it a goblin. Yeah, but at least that had something. It had some substance to it. The there was there was lore reasons for that. Yeah, as well, the, the, the skeletal. Yeah, it, like, it's not like a, a skeletal rats are going to have any sort of unique interaction with anybody. Where a booyag 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 would definitely right? would. Um, yeah. So there's also a couple of ogre skeletons in the Forge of Fury, which is in Tales of the Yawning Portal. Yeah, um, but they don't even get a unique stat block outside of the book, just like the rest of them do. So I, we're, we didn't include those. All of these skeletons here are incidental. They don't really get a spotlight from Wizards of the Coast, so they're not going to get a spotlight from us. Fair enough. Um, and also, I believe that there are a handful of uh, named undead that pop up where this NPC is now a skeleton that comes forward and shit. That's spoiler territory, and we're not going to cover that either. You know, check out your modules. Enjoy that shit when you come across it. So. Exactly. All right, before we go any further, let's jump over and talk about a commercial hello lovely listeners or as i like to call you all my npcs damn it we're recording a commercial right <clears throat> for those of you who aren't aware we're currently in the middle of a massive project called the many roads to amelia where we're continuing our call of cthulhu series 
Adam has been working tirelessly with a number of people to bring different kind of actual play to you guys. Or NPCs. Stop that. Oh. As I was saying, from October 2020 to October 2021... That's 13 months. On the 13th of each month, we'll be releasing a single episode of our homebrew saga that lays the groundwork for our next miniseries. Adam has taken over as the keeper of Arcane Secrets, allowing me to join all the other players on this bizarre and horrifying ride that Adam's twisted mind has come up with. But... Here's the fun part. Each of these episodes is a one-shot with only a single player. I've massaged the rules to make it a little deadlier and secretly worked with each player to craft each separate story to be radically different in plot, theme, pace, and tone. That means that the players have no idea what the others are up to or what parts of the clues or overarching story the others may know. We're not even allowed to listen to the episodes as they get released, so we'll be going into the next miniseries completely blind. This is exciting because it gives us the unique opportunity for attentive listeners like yourselves to actually know more about what's going on than the players do. That means that you can sit by and listen to all the voices from the Deep Dark of Radiance return, mostly with new characters, and you might be able to put the pieces together in ways that the players won't. Also, there's the threat that if our character dies or goes insane in our one-shot, we won't be invited back for the next series. That's keeping us paranoid, curious, and sometimes reckless and desperate. So, tune in every month to listen to me and either Dan, Terry, Dave, Megan, or Mieka, or Brad, or the five new voices, as we whittle down the list of survivors and take a look at what mysteries and horrors are slowly unfolding in Northern Canada, Southern America, and Subterranean Egypt. <laughs> there are many roads to Amelia, and you are invited to walk them all with me over the next year. Just check the It's a Mimic feed on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode on the night of the 13th each month. Until then, let's jump back into the episode. So, uh, can you give me a hint because I'm recording this commercial with you? Yes, I could. But I won't. I hate you. I know. Alright, so the very first thing that you're going to see more than anything else when it comes to skeletons is the literal skeleton. Weird. Yeah, right? Um, but one of the real classic things about it is a skeleton riding a... Skeletal war horse. Yeah, that's classic. You get minis of that shit, yeah. right? So um, it's pretty standard. And so we're going to jump over to Brad, who is hanging out in the Yawning Portal. And he's going to uh, tell us a little bit about skeletons and their mounts. Okay. Hey guys, Brad here, coming to you again from the Yawning Portal here in Waterdeep. Dernan's asked me to give him another shout-out, uh, let you know that Wednesday is wing night. Uh, can't guarantee that they're not Kenku or Aarakocra rings, but hey, maybe if you get a big wing, you got lucky. That said, I'm here to tell you today about skeletons and their mount companions, warhorse skeletons. They may feel played out, but I think in a way the skeleton, because it was so played out for so long, is almost forgotten these days. Uh, you don't deal with a lot of them. They're in some of the official, officially published content. But that being said, I think a lot of homebrew kind of passes over these. Uh, they're, like I said, people consider them to be played out, but I think there's some interesting ways to actually play skeletons. Um, they don't have to just be these completely brainless creatures. You can have these things traveling in an army, in packs, in bands. So keep that in mind when planning encounters. These don't have to be low-level encounter enemies. Uh, that being said, yeah, they got a decently low AC. They're going to be easy to hit. They don't have a lot of hit points. Uh, attack or two should take them down as long as you're hitting. Their strength is... it's okay. 
uh, they're decently dexterous actually, but you don't think about, you kind of think of skeletons as these slow moving things. These guys, they move quickly, they're dexterous. Uh, they've got a decent con, not surprisingly, they're undead. They are not very intelligent. They're not especially wise either. They are more wise than intelligent, but that doesn't make them very wise. And they don't really have any charisma. Uh, they generally come equipped with a short sword or a short bow. But that being said, get creative with this. I mean, these things can pick up whatever's around them. Whatever weapons they may have been carrying in life, they're likely to be carrying again here in death. That said, if they're making a melee or ranged weapon attack, they're going to have a plus four to hit. Uh, and they're going to do the standard weapon damage. So with a short sword, you're looking at 1d6 plus two. And exactly the same with a short bow. Interestingly, uh, skeletons, if you think about pairing them with something, how about a warhorse skeleton? You can imagine, you know, a band of knights that were killed on the field of battle being raised up as undead skeletons along with their warhorse mounts. Uh, warhorse skeletons are really interesting compared to live warhorses. They're actually a more interesting foe. They've been beefed up in pretty much all areas. They have higher AC than a standard warhorse. I mean, not still not especially high, but higher than standard. They actually get a bit of a beef up in hit points. The strength decks are the same. Their constitution actually gets a bit of a bump up. Their intellect gets is the same. They actually lose a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of charisma compared to their living counterparts. Uh, that said, being undead, they actually get immunity to, or vulnerability again to bludgeoning. They are skeletons, so when you see a skeleton, take a mace. Don't take a sharpened weapon to them if you can. One thing that this uh, skeletal warhorses lose over their living companions is they lose the trampling charge. So they aren't able to knock you prone, basically, on the charge attack. Uh, so note, make a note of that. If you're going to use these warhorse skeletons, the charge is not going to be very effective. Uh, and they have the exact same hoof attack as their living companions. So plus 6 on their hit and 2d6 plus 4 bludgeoning damage. So it's not to be scoffed at. I think it's really interesting to use skeletons as, you know... Maybe, sure, you'll find one in a dungeon, and there'll be one that's holding a sword, and you animate it, but it's not going to be much of a challenge for any party. It'll add a bit of a jump scare, I guess, but I think the most interesting way to use skeletons is raises armies of undead, uh, marching in a formation like they did in life, carrying their skills that they had in life as combatants and as warriors. Um, sure, you can add a lot of horror by going into a crypt and having the skeletons rise. That's another good way of doing it, but... The real threat to skeletons is in their numbers, right? These low low CR creatures, the best way I think to implement them is to basically throw numbers at the party. Waves of skeletons marching upon a city or upon a wall. A massive army that's been raised over years by a lich or some other sort of summoner, I think is a really interesting way of using it. And yeah, put if you can get some soldiers, put them on horseback. Have them riding these warhorse skeletons, even as a chance to kind of use these warhorse skeletons as bringers of an apocalypse uh, to strike fear into townsfolk. I mean, if you saw these, no matter what level party you are, these things marching into a town is going to scare the townspeople. Even seeing them in a distance, putting them in a fog or a mist, marching on a town, it's going to strike fear into the hearts of the citizens and give your PCs, your players, a chance to really step up as heroes and try and inspire 
the village to fight back and stand their ground because if there's enough of these things you're going to need the help no matter what level you are you throw enough of these at a village you're going to need the help of the local townsfolk and so relying on things like charisma checks and inspiration and things like that to keep the townsfolk inspired to stand strong against this incoming wave is a really cool role-playing opportunity. So don't just use skeletons one-off. I don't think they're that exciting. They're not that dangerous. You fight them once and it's kind of old hat, but as soon as you start to mass these things up, you're going to have an interesting encounter. Anyways, if you have any other, th other thoughts on skeletons or warhorse skeletons, give me a shout. Reach out to me at Clueless Game Master on Instagram or hit me up on the subreddit. I think it's a good time now to reiterate the fact that when Brad talks about how wise or how charismatic a creature is, we're talking in D&D terms. Yeah, right? wise means perception of the world around you. Charisma means how well you... Enforce you, your will. Or, or not even a force, but can read a room, interact with people. It's yeah. almost your personality trait. Yeah. It's not you actually being charismatic. Yeah, these aren't skeletons with boobies. That's not what charisma in reality is. And God fucking damn it, man. <laughs> Okay, look. I just wanted to say boobies. That's that's all that was. Uh, everyone knows that. Um, anyway, back to <laughs> Brad. He said that what um, that you can give skeletons any weapon that you want, and you can. Yep. But the bonus to dex on the average skeleton means that I want to lean into ranged weapons and finesse weapons. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. If, if I'm if I'm a necromantic warlord, I will fucking know that. I'm not going to give them great swords when I can give them rapiers. That'll just do better damage. And when you look at a lot of the skeleton things, we mentioned that when you talk about skeletons, there's often going to be zombies in the mix as well. Having skeletons be that reinforcement, that reinforcement to like ranged line. Oh, absolutely. While you're sending in the horde Ske of just the hit point. Yep. Skeletons sponges. with longbows behind the zombies moving forward. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense for yeah. me. So. Um, but no, I want that plus two bonus from the decks. That's what I want because mm -hmm. they're not going to get a bonus from strength, right? No. Yeah. Um, the other thing we see is that they've got this AC of 13. They've, they've got this 2d8 plus four hit points. This feels a little bit daunting for a CR quarter creature that, I mean, doesn't it? Well, when you have four of them, there's no multi-attack here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So four of them, which is 2d8 plus four times four. And your AC 13, I mean, you have your, you're going to be able to hit that. You, you still can roll like an eight or nine in order to hit that because you have plus two to your proficiency, plus whatever your attack modifier is, is going to probably be at least a plus two. Yeah. So hitting a 13 means you got to roll a nine on the die. So you are still hitting. You're just not going to hit as often as you would have against, say, a zombie. They are slightly more uh, difficult than your average zombie, I would say. But I mean, they still fit for CR 14. They're skeletons. Yeah. CR 14, CR 1 quarter. So they are still a little... Yeah, yeah CR 1 quarter. Well, just, yes, CR 1 quarter. <laughs> so, Sorry, future editor. <laughs> so, no, I like these guys for CR 1 quarter. Um, They're going to put up a tough fight. Four of these guys will drop a couple of people in a level 1 party. Which is kind of what I want. Anytime that I'm going to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, my question is, will it drop one person to unconsciousness without killing them? We got to remember remember that these aren't the skeletons we see in like Diablo 2 or 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 these large um scale video games where skeletons are just kind of fodder and you destroy hundreds of thousands of them. No man, this is Jason and the Argonauts level zombie, uh, skeletons. Four of them is a challenge. It is. Right? At, at low levels it can be a real issue, especially 
when you start to look at the action economy. Yeah. Right? If you have um, three, I mean, obviously, if you only have three party members, these four skeletons are going to overwhelm them at first level. Easily, yeah. Right? Um, now, there are rules in the DMG for stacking additional monsters on, and that raises the CR in certain ways, and so on and so forth. And I, I, I get that. And those rules are almost worth looking into. That <laughs> They don't hold a candle to your uh, fucking experience of DMing. Yeah. But know your party and know what you're up against with this. I think it can be it can be enough. Um, okay, I want to look at the Warhorse skeleton for half Shoot. a second here. Yeah. The reason it gets a boost to their AC is due to the fact that it's assumed that they have that they have scraps of barding, which is horse armor for those of you who don't know. Yep. Right. So if you're injecting a random horse skeleton into your campaign, think about whether or not its AC would stay at the base eleven or get the plus two from the barding. Where is it getting this armor from? It is a war horse, but a riding horse won't get that. So you only apply the dexterity modifier to the base 10 plus whatever your crazy skeleton yeah. shit is, right? You are not adding, oh, it gets a bonus because it has a saddle or a blanket or any of that shit. It is legitimate fucking armor on a war horse. Yes. I mean, this this boils down to the thing we've hit on, I'm pretty sure, every single mob well, mentality episode so far. Yeah. Um, understanding where your armor comes from and why it's that high. If your character's got a shield, if he puts down the shield, you're losing that two armor. Yeah. Right? That applies for skeletons and their war horses. There are different gradients of barding inside of the player's uh, handbook as well that you can refer to if you want to have a beefier skeletal war horse for your Oathbreaker Paladin to ride. Yeah, or right. frankly, I'm I'm going to use this warhorse as a very basic stat, um, but I'm going to give it all sorts of badass barding if I'm going to have a Death Knight. Right. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, there's so many places you go, and this this translates to just your run of the mill skeletons as well. A run of the mill skeleton can still wear plate armor. Yes, right. That that's a scary ass skeleton that has a lot of money on its shoulders, but it can still wear plate. So. Yep. There's no reason why your incredibly wealthy, way too much time on his hands necromancer doesn't equip all of his skeletal slaves in plate armor with great swords at their hip. I, well, frankly, it can be even more than that. Your adventuring party that came beforehand died in the crypt. Yeah. There's desecrated soil here, and so they they ended up getting raised. The paladin that was in that party now is, is a skeleton wearing plate mail. Yeah. Right? Like... There you go. I, d- I don't need to have a big storyline behind that. I can just say, hey, does it make sense? Then I'm going to give them these other weapons. Yeah, cool. Um, the real interesting thing about this uh, Skeletal Warhorse is that it's still got that 60-foot movement. This makes skeletons on patrol a lot more imposing. Yeah. And it's still a CR half. Which is pretty spot on. Like, there's not a lot of debate on this one uh, like there is. Well, with the look, that, that hoof attack is still pretty deadly. And the just pile of hit points that this thing has for a skeleton. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of balance that with the fact that like, this thing's not opening up any doors. No. Right? Um, and it's not going to hunt down living creatures, but it's... No, it's still going to, going to like, not... A, a zombie horse will gallop off the cliff. Yeah. Right? A skeletal horse will not... Uh, the warhorse skeleton will find a bridge. So I don't know. I there is still that base level of intelligence to a degree, but no, I like I like the um, warhorse skeleton. I would like to see more of it. Yep. Especially for things like 
revenants and and even even ghouls if you can give them enough intelligence to or or have them team up with a necromancer for some reason. We saw Tasha's break down NPC stats and give us like a separate mechanic just for building NPCs. Yep. I want to see something along the lines that makes mounts uh, like more more targeted towards mounts. You could use the NPC stats for mounts. You well, frankly, they tell you that you can use them for dogs. So, yeah. so I mean, there's no no saying you can't. But well, by NPC stats, you mean the sidekicks? Yeah, sidekicks. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to see something like that for mounts that gives us access to a whole slew of potential mount creatures from riding dogs to griffins and everything in between and what they look like as mounts. Sure. I think that we're overdue for a proper player's handbook too. And I don't uh, just yeah. I don't just mean more subclasses, Xanathars and Tashes. I, I mean actual Player options like a slew of feats a bunch of spells a bunch of items and a bunch of these rules like um that that have been in the modules that should be collected somewhere else yeah so um anyway one of the things that we've noticed in most mobs i mean not the zombies obviously is that they tend to have a spell caster of some sort yeah but that's frankly just beyond the capabilities of most undead so the closest thing that we get is a unique creature from the pages of the Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And I think Pepperina has heard some rumors about it. Thanks, guys. This is Pepperina, and I'm still here drinking at the Lucky Liar Tavern in Lonelywood. I was chatting up the bartender, trying to get some free drinks and find out where the best place to find some treasure around here is. He was telling me about this tower he went to filled with all sorts of cool stuff, but he accidentally woke something up. He said it looked like a skeleton, but wore a pointed hat and robes, and had long bits of beard still hanging from his bony jaw. I said, go home man, you're drunk. Skeletons don't wear pointy hats. He swore that's what he saw, and then it started to lob acid at him, and he got out of there fast. I did a little more digging, and it turns out he was talking about the skeletal alchemist. Now this happens when the undead retain enough of its former self to continue its work as an alchemist. Usually this is due to a necromancer or a sinister patron. The skeletal alchemist will continue its work in its laboratory, but can fall dormant for long periods of time. Now let's get into some stats. They have an armor class of 11 because they're only wearing robes, but they do get a bump to their hit points with 32 or 5d8 plus 10. They have an average speed of 30 feet. Their strength and dex do get bumped down by one from your average skeleton. Constitution stays the same, but intelligence, wisdom, and charisma all go up with intelligence more than doubling. They get plus four to arcana, which really tracks, and their passive perception is 10. Its challenge rating goes up just a touch to a half. They have magic resistance, which means they get advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. For their actions, they do get a multi-attack where they can make two lob acid attacks. This is kind of their special attack. It's a ranged weapon attack with a plus three to hit, a range of 30 to 120 feet. They can hit one target with it. If they do hit, it's a five or one D8 plus one acid damage. I like to think of this as them throwing all the potions that they've been making all this time in their laboratory. There's got to be a ton just laid around, so they're just lobbing acid at your players. They do also have a claw melee weapon attack, 
with a plus three to hit, a reach of five feet for one target. If they hit, it's a four or one d6 plus one slashing damage. I think as far as skeletons go, these guys are pretty cool and they have a cool little flavor to them. As a DM, I would use these as warlocks still filling a contract. If your party is after a patron, it might find these guys still in their laboratory doing their work as part of the pact that they made. Warlocks out there, remember, read the fine print. Just because you're dead does not mean your patron is done with you. Now, it's Taco Tuesday, so I gotta run before they sell out. Last time I only got five. If you guys need to get a hold of me to tell me about some cool monsters or just to see what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram as pepperita underscore sparkle gem. Thanks, guys. Back to you. I find it incredibly interesting that these guys' multi-attack only counts for throwing vials of acid and not, like, slashing at things with their claws. Well, they're not combatants, right? It's the same thing about, like, they're used to handling vials and shit, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, like, you see most skeletons. Like, the average skeleton doesn't get a claw attack. Yeah, I think that's wrong. It's wrong. Like, this this needs to change in most of my games. I'm giving them a claw attack. You get a claw attack. Yeah, what happens when you knock the sword out of the skeleton's hand? It it sits there and chatters its teeth at you. It knuckles you. Hits you with a stump. Not even touching it, Dan. That's a step too far for me. Um, the real gem, honestly, about Pepperina's insight is that just because a warlock is dead doesn't mean that a warlock patron is done with them. <laughs> and I really like that. That's a lot of fun, especially when you kill your warlock PC. Yeah. Um, there's a whole fucking campaign hook in there somewhere, which we're not going to get into right now, but this has got my creative juices flowing. Yeah. I just see the one guy go, Hey, you know, Orcus ain't so bad until you die. Yeah. (laughs) And then whoopsie poopsies. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is the, uh, the verbal component for being raised by Orcus. (laughs) Just oopsie poopsies. Uh, okay. Well, look, we can't continue to talk about undead. Without looking to Castle Ravenloft. So let's head over to Megan and see what insights that she is going to have. Again, like why does a skeleton have dark vision? I mean, like they don't even, they don't even have eyes. Oh, oh, sorry, we're live. Um, all right. Oh, hello. Uh, it's Megan here from Castle Ravenloft. So from what I can gather uh, in the chitter chatter amongst the skeleton experts that I have around me, which of course, if you're excavating a tomb, you will have skeleton experts. um, I have learned that I don't much care for them. In fact, they frighten the crap out of me. But honestly, what I want to chat about today is that I actually came across a set of keys um, on one of the skeletons. And it actually reminded me like of an old wives tale that I used to be told as a kid about a way to open the gate to Soulmonger with it's you know within the layer of the sewn sisters which is you know common knowledge right but you must collect keys from skeletons which is actually quite literal it's the skulls of skeletons that extend into like the shape of a key and the story goes that there's five that you have to find throughout the layer and it'll actually unlock the gate for you so i feel like that's super gross where you're using a dead man's body to open a door you know nothing but good things on the other side am i right (laughs) So the main thing to remember when looking for these particular human skeletons, if you should so choose to venture and find them, is that they have kind of the same stat block as a regular skeleton. So, sorry, to be clear, these are live operating skeletons that just happen to have a skull that 
extends into a key. So you do have to kill them before you can acquire these keys. So I feel like I need to establish that right now and how frightening this scenario is. And of course, why, you know, your moms and dads would want to tell you this story as a kid to keep you from diving into caves willy-nilly. You know, you might come across a skeleton key. Any hoozle. So the main thing to remember is that they do have the same stat block as a more classic skeleton. However, of course, with some different features. So unlike the skeletons being lawful evil skeleton keys, technically they're unaligned. I don't think they have any knowledge or care of which way or the other. Uh, and instead of carrying a short sword or bow like a classic human would, they actually carry two daggers and utilize two attacks per turn, which are a plus four to hit. So a little bit more could be a little bit more dangerous to your team, depending on if they're close ranger um, distanced fighters, right? Also, when reduced to zero hit points, they kind of just crumple into a pile of bones that actually remain intact. Um, they don't actually trigger any traps when they're running around a cavern. So that to me is super frightening. And the fact that they can just run your team across like a pit of spikes should it darn well feel like it, right? And your team needs that key. It's not like it's just a skeleton, that you're chasing after like your team is going to go after this thing so and they probably don't know that this thing isn't going to trigger trap so as a dm fun thing to utilize in my mind and honestly as frightening as those pieces are when it comes to these skeleton keys the most frightening thing that i feel is very cinematic is they actually in addition to having a regular you know 30 walking speed they actually have a climbing speed and it's not just a climbing speed i feel like i would more call it a scaling speed where they can actually run up walls and climb on ceilings and hang upside down. Um, so if you've ever watched a horror movie, this is a, this is actually quite frightening. So I can imagine your team running into a cavern full of regular skeletons or a mob or what have you happening. And then all of a sudden they look up and there's five skeletons hanging upside down on a ceiling or on a high ceiling. And they have to figure out how to either wake them up or get them down. Anyways, I feel like that's how I would utilize them in a fun way. Instead of just being little tiny bosses strewn about a cavern at like the ends and dead ends of which way or what way of like um, the layer itself, actually have a cavern where they're just all there, but they're hanging upside down in a ceiling that you can, your team cannot reach because it's too high. It's out Misty Steps, your Misty Stepper, and I probably can't out Dimension Door, your wizard, but... I do feel like it would be fun mechanics to get your team to try and figure out how to either A, get these things down, or B, destroy them from where they're standing. So anyways, I'd be interested to hear if you guys ever have used these or played in you know a campaign that requires these in a D&D setting, um, because it is just a story that I've been told as a child. So I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. All right, well, I'm going to throw it back to you guys. Obviously, reach out to me for future tales of awesomeness but uh for now i'm gonna go and get back to my work um as an audience you guys can follow me on instagram at omega o so that's zero m-e-g-a zero um for some fun D or video game memes otherwise you guys enjoy the rest of your day bye megan they have dark vision because magic stop Sh- thinking about it just Fucking leave it alone. Every time that she comes up to a stat block, she's like, why does it have dark vision? It's fifth edition. Magic. Leave it alone. I do kind of understand one little aspect of that just because everything, like the base norm for monsters, player races, everything is it has dark vision. It's the exceptions that don't. Yes, look. And like some of them are glaring omissions. Like why the hell don't Dragonborn have dark vision? When you on T do and dragons fucking do? Yeah. Look, I get it. I know, but 
Frankly, you're right, Megan. It's a little weird. They should have blind sight because they don't have fucking eyeballs. Yeah. Do you get the idea that Megan just doesn't like the monster episodes? Like She just straight up doesn't. She is just... I'm telling you, she wants to be a player and she wants to kill the monsters. Every time that she comes up to a stat block of any kind, she either sends me a message or she rants on Mike about, <laughs> well, this is dumb and I hate it. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I no, I know Megan loves playing like these high heroic. Uh, she plays an L5R, yeah. um, Legend of the Five Rings, which is that samurai flavored uh, campaign setting. Super not doing it justice, but you keep going. Yeah, it's close enough. Far close more enough. intrigue than that, and that's why she plays it is because it's got a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot of emotion, role playing. There's not a lot of combat. She said to us, "If if there's fighting in L five R, you you done fucked up." Yeah, the, right? the campaign's over. So having her cover skeletons is like, sorry, Megan. <laughs> I purposefully give her all of the creatures that she won't like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny for us. So, um, look, these skeleton keys are obviously designed to be like a combat-focused puzzle. Puzzle, yeah. Right? But Megan's inclusion of the horror theme um, when they you know easily scale walls and skitter across ceilings is really flavorful. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I would use that with some skeletons. If I were to have a drider skeleton, for example, that shit's going to be coming across the ceiling at you. Oh, yeah. Right? In like low corridors and shit, right? So you and I are... Very m- handsome. And massive fans of the horror genre of entertainment. Yeah. And there is something to be said for the amount of uh, terror generated by something walking across the floor towards you. Or walking across the ceiling towards you. Anything that moves in a weird way. If I can be honest, the most terrified that I've ever been in my life in a movie. When I've gone to the movie theater. Was it was it the time that, you know, I, I put my hand on your knee and... When terrified, you... not titillated. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so one of the... Dan puts the whore in horror. So one of the... <laughs> I often don't put the uh, second R in anyways. No, you don't. Or the third R. The fuck. <laughs> the thing that scared me the most in any horror movie ever was there was the uh, 25th anniversary of The Exorcist. Okay. And in it had like a remaster and there were a couple of new effects. And I'd seen The Exorcist before, but I was, it was a late, a late teenager at this point. So it was 20th or 25th anniversary, I don't remember. But one of the scenes that I'd never seen before, which is famous now and is just a part of all the re- releases... Is um, the stairs? Yeah, her coming down backwards and upside down down the stairs. It freaked me right out. The rest of the movie was scary enough. And for those of you who are like, Exorcist isn't scary. Fuck you, man. Go watch it in a theater where you can't escape or look at your phone. And you just that that ongoing building dread. It never relents, and it is amazing for that. I just gotta say, all of those chads that sit there and say. Um, you know, scary movies aren't scary, blah, blah, blah. It's because you're watching them in the middle of the day with all the lights on, with your phone in your hand and music going on in the kitchen. You need to watch a horror movie the way a horror movie is meant to be watched. All the lights off, sensory deprivation, except for what's going on in front of you. Alone, by yourself, at two in the morning. In an empty house. And you have to be able to suspend your disbelief to some degree. Exactly. Sitting there and saying, well, I'll just shoot her in the head. Doesn't... 
Sure, man, fine, fuck you. You know what? Godzilla can get nuked, too. Like, it, there is no real scary aspect of any of this. You have to buy into what is it like in that moment witnessing this. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And so that freaked me out. So the idea of these skeleton keys that can do this, it's a lot of fun. Especially since they can move 30 foot. And the idea that they don't trigger any traps makes me think that hunting these guys down would be a massive pain in the ass. Especially if they're going to dash around an entire dungeon. Like you said earlier, like these guys are kind of combat focused puzzle. Yeah, man. Here's your one shot. Chase the key through the dungeon. Yeah. And honestly, it is. And I would have like four or five of them Mm -hmm. in a very large dungeon full of traps and undead and ghosts. Dan, you separated an entire party way back when in an undead catacomb where you were a rogue who was moving, dashing, and and then using your bonus action to dash as well, moving 90 feet around while everyone else was going slowly with 30 feet, you managed to trigger everything in the dungeon and then pull them back to the party. So you took multiple CR, I think 12 encounters, and dropped like 15 of them on the party at once? That's because I play a lot of World of Warcraft and I was cutting the mobs together so we could cleave them. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I don't know what you just said, but I hate you. <laughs> so the, the, the other thing I like about this is make the easy keys, like the ones they find easier, be duds, right? Like they, they don't unlock anything. They don't have anything to go uh, to. That's that's kind of shitty though. Like I'm not I'm not really going to fuck with my... If they're going to... Because player's going to play. Yeah. They're going to fuck up the easy ones and just waltz through the hard ones. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, you're so, not wrong. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to do that, but what I am going to do is say, hey, you need all five of these to open up the door. Yeah. Right? And so the easy ones that you get early, sure, you can get this skull with the little key, you know, attachment on, on the head of it and whatnot. Now you're walking around with a skull hanging off your belt. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really neat. That's really cool. That last one should be a pain in the ass. It needs to be 120 feet up in a, in an expansive cavern. Oh, yeah. Right? With 10 ghosts, which are just... Or specters or shadows. And lava. Use lava. Yeah, there should right, be lava. Like, like, like I'm really going to turn these into an environmental aspect. Because, like I say, they're, they're just skeletons. With this new interesting thing on top of them. And I love that they don't trigger traps. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck you, players. And I got some Dave-level adversarial DMing coming your way. <laughs> yeah, this thing's skidding across that long, empty, oddly dust-free hallway with no ill effect. It's totally safe. There aren't pit traps or gelatinous cubes hiding in the in the mix here. Right. Look, at this point, your players should know that not all skeletons are created equally. Yep. Right? As a matter of fact, one of the most famous 5e skeletons is the Minotaur skeleton. Yeah. Love right. Um, and it was one of the first minis that I ever got from the 5th edition run. As yeah, well. cool. So, um, it even actually um, has a couple of different miniatures. Um, over the different editions, like it's so popular that I think we in our collection have three of them, At and they're least. and they're all yeah. different. Yeah, three right? unique ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, let's jump over to the wastes of uh, Zorhas and see what sets them apart from other regular skeletons. Hey guys, good to hear from you again. I'm in this cave right now in the wastes of Zorhas, setting up some traps in a cave mouth at. My goblin companion and I learned from the kobolds we met not too long ago. Now, we might have some skeletons following us after I tried to pilfer some bones for a bit of a musical project of mine. I might have angered them a little bit, so we're just taking precautions. While looking around, though, 
I happened to catch sight of another adventuring party battling against some other skeletons, and one in particular caught my attention. Now this one, larger than most other skeletons, with horns coming from the side of its head, hooves for feet, and wielding a massive axe. This was a minotaur skeleton. Now, as I was watching from a good distance away, I thought I'd take note of a couple things. And although it looks rather scary and I don't want to get near this thing, it did not look as tough as its living counterpart. And if you were to kind of compare the two together, the living minotaur, you could say, is a little bit beefier than its bony version. But let's look at the stats of these guys a little bit. Well, the Minotaur skeleton has an AC of 12, and it is, as I said, it's not as strong as its counterpart, and it only has 9d10 plus 18, whereas the other one, the living one, has 9d10 plus 27, so it's a little bit less. Still has the same 40 feet movement, but in its stats itself, it's a little different. Its strength, it's still really strong, quite... Uh, I don't want to get caught in this thing's arms. And its dexterity is still average, and it, but its constitution is a little less than its usual, but it's still pretty good. And its intelligence, oh, not the greatest, I should say. And its charisma, it is not a looker. Although, its living counterpart, you could probably get along with this thing. No, you're not going to get along with. But the biggest one is its wisdom. While in life, it knew the world around it. Now, not so much. It has a less than average wisdom. Now, it only understands abyssal. It's not going to be able to speak, but it can still understand. Now, this thing has a CR rating of 2 rather than 3 when it was living. But it still also has that charge capability. And this thing, if you didn't know already, if it can move at least 10 feet towards you, it is going to attack with its horns on its head. It's going to gore you right through. And that means you're going to take an extra 2d8 damage piercing. And if this creature gets hit, it needs to succeed on a strength save of 14. Or it's going to be pushed up to 10 feet away and knocked prone. Now, it still has this great axe, which it still... I guess carries around with it, which is enough to do a fair bit of damage. But we've heard these stats before for a great axe. But as I said, it also has this gore capability to use its horns against you. And you don't want to be hit by this thing. This thing is going to hurt you. It's it's going to do 2d8 plus 4 damage, which for a tier 1 party, because this thing is only a, a CR2, for a tier 1 party, this is pretty powerful. Not to mention, the speed on this thing is 40 feet of movement. Yeah, this thing can move faster than most of the party. But here's a thought, though. Let's imagine, let's take ourselves to the stereotypical place we would find minotaurs, and that's in a labyrinth, as the standard trope goes. But rather than finding a living minotaur, you find one that was slain long ago and risen back to life by a necromancer in this very labyrinth. Now what's to say there's only one of these guys? Maybe this necromancer decided to raise a few of them. Several of them. Who knows how many you'll be facing of these guys. Is it a host of them? Also, 
take this into consideration. It doesn't breathe. If you're in the dark, are you going to hear this thing coming? It may not notice you, but if it does, you don't notice it. Are you going to hear it? Or are you only going to hear it when it starts to charge at you? As I saw it do one, to one of the party members earlier, passed right through that squashy wizard's shoulder. Oof, not a pretty sight, blood everywhere. Now, although these guys are not as tough as their living selves, these guys are still a bit of a challenge for your tier 1 party or tier 2 party if you've got several of them on your hands. But let me know what you guys think. Meanwhile, I'm going to be working on my xylophone made of bones. I've heard it's been done before and I want to give my hand a try at it. You can reach me at Melodica's Music on Facebook or at Melodica's Music on Instagram. Until then, I'll catch you guys next time. Did Tyler just nonchalantly mention that he needs bones for a musical project he's working on? You know, it's always the ones you suspect the least. What? The the horrible, scary, twisted... Oh, the quiet one the over quiet, there? Yeah, yeah. It's always the ones you suspect the least. No, I suspect Dave and Terry and they are loud. I suspect them. Yeah, but that, that to me gives them innocence. It's the Brads and the Tylers that make me go, wait a minute. What do you have in your closet, buddy? Oh, I just assume that everybody is weird and fucked up. But the fact that Dave and Terry are so brazen about it is what frightens me. Want to know what else is weird and fucked up? That goddamn bull pun. Fuck you. <laughs> the beef pun? Yeah. 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 God damn it, Tyler. That was an atom level pun. It was. So I, I'm, and I'm I hated every moment of it. Um, well, I did not. I loved it. And I also love that they have charge attack with it this. It makes sense. It does. It makes perfect sense that they would have the charge attack, but... This is going to totally blindside your party at CR2, right? The fact that it's less than a Minotaur, but it's still so deadly. This is going to fuck them up. That is so much damage for a level 2 party. And it's not like you're going to run into three of these at a time, right? So it is a solo one-off brute that you're fighting. So you're going to be level 2 when you fight it. Yep. Right? If you look at the charge attack of 2d8 plus 4 from the gore attack... That alone is potentially a one-hit kill on a level 2 party member. But then you add the 2d8. That is freaking nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you can really do some damage. I personally, I like holding off on using uh, Minotaur Skeletons until the party's like level 8. And then I will throw multiple Minotaur Skeletons at them. And I will have them chase down that quick little fucking uh, gnome rogue like I was. Um, and I'll have them chasing down and gore that guy. So, okay, one of the things that I want to just talk about really quickly here is your standard Minotaur is a CR3. Yep. Right? Um, and they've got Labyrinthine Recall. Okay. Right? Which lets them... Know where they're at in the Labyrinth. Like, they can't get lost. Yep. And Reckless, which is if I get advantage on mine, you are going to get advantage against me. Right? I'm yeah, it's, it's the so, same as the Barbarian feature, Reckless Attacks. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of creatures that have that. Yeah. Those two things don't carry over onto the skeleton. And I get why, because we're replacing it with an undead necromantic energy and whatnot. Sure. But even, like, the muscle memory for the Reckless, the idea of the skeleton not knowing where it is in the labyrinth feels weird to me. One of the things about skeletons and undead uh, creatures that I've noticed is... When you get the unique stat blocks in 5th edition, you see that Wizards of the Coast is hand-selecting which abilities and traits to bring over mm -hmm. from their live variant, right? As a dungeon master, there's no clear ruling on that. 
There's nothing in there about like adding the skeleton modifier to a minotaur in the DMG would not give you charge. No. So that becomes almost an art form trying to figure out when and why. And you've got to do some real mental calisthenics on this to, for me, adding a plus two here or there is not going to be a big game breaker. I might not even change the CR of the creature if I'm if I'm doing that because of some sort yeah. of rule from its previous form. Yeah. Giving it advantage, woof. But the Minotaur gets advantage on reckless attacks. It's not that I'm going to give a skeleton advantage. It's that does the Minotaur lose the ability to be reckless uh, when it dies? That's my question. I t- if I can raise it up so that it can charge based off of mus- muscle memory. It should be able to get the reckless attack. Should it? I don't know. Does a, does a an Aarakocra skeleton get to fly? No, because it doesn't have the physical ability to do it. According to the way that it's built, it absolutely would, based on the rules as written. Don't like it. I don't like it either. You have to use... That's yeah, my there, point. There, there's you have some to mental gymnastics sense. here. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. bending over backwards to figure out exactly how this is going to work. Yeah. Um, the other thing we see with a lot of uh, the skeletons that is going to require a little bit of mental gymnastics is the fact that they still re- maintain... The or retain the languages that they had in life. I mean, they still can't speak it, but they yep. understand it. Minotaurs speak abyssal, which is weird to me. I mean, it's Baphomet, right? Sure, yeah, and I get so, that, but I mean, traditionally speaking, for, no, for me, minotaurs they should be speaking Greek. Yeah, I know, I, and that's that's my <laughs> thought process on this. It is all Greek to them. Yes, yeah, speak fucking common. <laughs> minotaurs being tied to the abyss always feels odd to me so minotaur skeletons being tied to the abyss feels weird to me how to orcus and baphomet reconcile you know what i'm putting too much thought into it you you really truly are i and to be completely honest because i've done many deep dives into baphomet as a uh, dungeons and dragons demon lord um gotta choose my words there carefully here because there are schools of thought that deal with baphomet in real life anyways um or at least the concept of them he works a lot with Orcus. They work hand in hand quite a lot, usually to Yenogu's despair. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and I know that of the group of demon lords, they're two of the most intelligent and willful of them. Yeah. Right? Like, Demogorgon's not going to get up to many schemes. He's just going to be fucking batshit crazy. No. Yenogu's out to rampage. Dweeblex and Zugtamoy are just forces of nature. Yeah. Right? It's really Orcus, Gratz, and... Uh, Gratz is all about gratification and, and Yeah, but desire. he's going to scheme, too. Oh, right? and 100% he will. But but it's it's these three, in my head anyway, that are the schemers. Orcus... And people look at Baphomet and look at Minotaurs and be like, hey, it's... That doesn't really track. They're they're monsters. They're rage machines. They're savage and bestial. True, but Baphomet has his Tower of Creation, where he generates new bold themed magic items and monsters. I really wish that they had given us a proper breakdown of Minotaurs in Ravnica. Yeah, I agree. Right, we got the player race side of it, and that's that's fine. We should have got a new monster stat block, almost an NPC stat block for Minotaurs, because this shit doesn't track. Over there. No, Over no, in really Ravica and Theros and whatnot. So, um, Speaking of other campaign settings, let's find out what Dave is up to. He's over in Kabara in Eberron, yep. um, and he is still working on this draconic prophecy. I asked him to look into a couple of things, um, and 
we have a bit of a weird disconnect in some stat blocks right now. Okay. So let's go talk to Dave about Giant. Hey guys, Dave here again. This time, my quest to find more about the Draconic Prophecy has led me down to Kabara. Uh, I have traded in large trees for large trees, which suits me just fine. I like the forest. I like being outdoors. Come on, you guys know this. I was talking with some friends the other day, though, and the idea of skeletons came up, and most specifically, the idea of frost giant skeletons. I mean, it's right in the name. You take a long-dead frost giant, you reanimate them into a skeleton, and bam, frost giant skeleton. Uh, now, these guys are uh, huge undead creatures that are lawful evil, okay? Their AC is 14, which is, I mean, probably due to the fact that their armor... I mean, they're skeletons. It's not in great shape. It's just kind of hanging off of them. Uh, so yeah, an AC of 14, but their hit points... I mean, a giant, right? 12d12 plus 24 with a speed of 40 feet. I love it. Their strength is otherworldly, okay? This is one of the few times you get strength that is above uh, 20. These guys are a 23, okay? Uh, their constitution is, again, above average, but not quite that above average. But every other statistic is below average. Dex and wisdom aren't that far down, but intelligence and charisma are. They're just—they're not super intelligent and they're not super suave. But they're also immune to cold and poison damage, okay? They understand giant, but they can't speak it. Because, I mean, they're skeletons, right? Uh, they're also a CR of 6. For their abilities, they have unusual nature. They don't require food, air, drink, or sleep. So these guys would make great sentries. Uh, for their actions, they do have a multi-attack, which they would use uh, two hits from their great axe, which is a plus nine to hit melee weapon attack. It's got a 10-foot reach. Again, not something you get a lot of in 5th edition. And it does 3d12 plus six slashing damage. And they get two of those around. Uh, let me tell you, the party that I'm dealing with right now are level 7, and this would make them sweat a little, and I like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe Hallister has a couple of these down on the dungeon level for them. Eh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. But in addition to the Great Axe attack, they do get a freezing stare. Essentially what happens is the skeleton targets one creature that it can see, but it has to be within 60 feet. Then the target gets a constitution save, the DC's 13, on a failure, it takes 10d6 cold damage and is paralyzed until the end of its next turn. Uh, now, in addition to frost giant skeletons, there is also a giant skeleton stat block. Uh, and I believe it comes out of the Yawning Portal, or Tales of the Yawning Portal. Alright, these guys are huge undeads. They are neutral evil. Their AC is 17, uh, which is all natural armor. And their hit points are 10d12 plus 50. All right, their speed is 30 feet, so they're a little bit slower than their frosty friends. Their strength, again, is just ridiculous, as is their constitution. Uh, their strength is a 21, their con is 20, their dex is average, uh, and their intelligence, wisdom, and charisma are, you know, quite a little bit below average, and their CR is a 7. For abilities, the giant skeletons have evasion. Uh, so if the skeleton is uh, the target of an effect that allows it to make a saving throw, to take only half damage, it instead takes no damage uh, if it succeeds on the throw. Uh, and if it fails, it only takes half. So they're a little quick. Uh, they do have magic resistance. They have advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. And they have turn immunity. So they are immune to the effects of turn undead. 
on their turn, and this is what I think makes them a higher challenge rating than the Frost Giant Skeleton, is that they get three scimitar attacks, okay? Now, this is the only attack that they get, but it's the multi-attack of three of them. Uh, the scimitar, it's a melee weapon attack. It's a plus eight to hit, but it's got 10-foot reach, uh, and on a successful hit, it does 3d6 plus five slashing damage. All right, so I like the idea of, um, I mean, as you guys know, Eberron, I'm all about it, and Zendrick is the continent of giants. I like the idea of your guys going over to Zendrick and instead of having them come across giants uh, like I've seen in the past, having them come across all of these different kinds of giant skeletons. Uh, and, I mean, you can kind of homebrew your own versions of other kinds of giants to make it kind of fit a little bit better. I mean, when I was DMing, I had this big thing I've talked about before where they met this kind of giants and this kind of giants and this kind of giants and this kind of giants and... Maybe you're going to have frost giant skeletons against, you know, remaining frost giants. Like, there's a lot to play with in the hierarchy of giants, right? To throw in skeleton giants of different kinds as well just muddles it even further. And I really like that idea. That's probably how I would use these guys other than just dropping them somewhere to make my players scratch their head and get a little angry. Uh, but on that note, I am going to send it back to Adam and Dan. I got some more research here to do. You guys can always find me on the r slash it's a mimic subreddit. And uh, I will talk to you guys next time. So, Adam, I'm, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the group Discord thing, but we really have to stop getting Dave to cover monsters because he killed... 40% of his party last week in his Dungeon of the Mad Mage campaign that he's going through. And I feel like we're helping him punish his party a bit. Uh, yes, but I've met those guys and they deserve it. Uh, I mean, yeah, okay. No, Dave obviously hates his players, but um, let's... Oh, uh, that, that, that is crystal clear. If yeah. it hasn't been established yet, it's established now. Yeah, but no, I'm... Uh, I'm well, I got the text in the middle of recording last week, right? Which yeah. was which was Dave saying, "Hey, I just killed two of my five party members," and um, he has been giggling about it for a week. Yep. Yep. Hey, okay. So I got a question: Is it weird that we get a generic giant skeleton and a specific frost giant skeleton? Where, where's my Where's my fire giant love? Like, where's my storm giant love? Where's my cloud giant love? Where's like? Uh, you're gonna have to homebrew. You're just gonna have to. Yeah, and and you got to look f further than like just taking the frost giant abilities and making them fire, fire based. No, that's, that's no, insufficient. You, yeah, you have the, to look into the giants. Yeah, the giants are more unique than elementalism implies. There's there's a lot going on between the different. Like a fro fire giant to a frost giant is more than a dwarf than a human right like there's there's a little further divide there so we you do need to look at it all right well let's look at the frost giant then first before we jump into the other one okay? sounds good so i'm gonna go through a couple of things on this real quick okay i think it makes sense that it's immune to cold i mean yeah on top of, all of the poison and exhaustion and all that the bludgeoning vulnerability and whatnot i it makes sense that it's immune to cold would you apply that to the other giants um yes 100 percent, i would like fire is immune to fire. Fire is immune to fire. And I would have Hill that. Hill is immune to hills. I would have. 
just downward gradients. It's just, it, it, yeah. it's got them. It's We're specifically good. only fire. Like, uh, I mean, maybe storm with lightning. Storm with lightning, cloud with, uh, I would say cloud with water attacks or something like I'm that. Not, I'm not even going to give it. There's not a whole lot of water attacks. No, maybe force? I don't know. No, never, not force. Bludgeoning is a vulnerability. Force should also be uh, yeah, a vulnerability. Yeah, I guess that's true too. It's weird that it isn't, but. Yeah. Um, the, the, the other thing I would have with this immunity is have it telegraphed on the skeleton in some way. Like the frost giant skeleton has thick bands of ice covering the bone. The frost giant has the glowing ember, or sorry, the fire giant has the glowing embers in in. in yeah, the bones, yeah, that right? makes like, sense. I yeah. want something like that there. All right. Well, the other thing about it that I noticed was the great axe attack. It's fucking deadly for a CR six creature. You're not wrong. Um, but it's the freezing stare that's brutal. Sixty feet, ten d six cold. And paralyzed until the end of its next turn. With no recharge and a moderate saving throw for beginning tier 2, that is fucking deadly. Yeah, uh, DMs out there, be careful with these guys. This thing is going to, like, you could get a TPK relatively Relatively quickly, yeah. With one of these guys at, at CR6. Especially since they paralyze. And what happens when you're paralyzed, Adam? You suck. You You really do. You stand there, unable to move. Things that want to attack you in melee, say like a, I don't know, a frost giant skeleton with a great axe, now has advantage to hit you because you can't move. You're going to end up in a death spiral. The question is, can your party knock it down fast enough so that it will not reduce you to zero hit points and move on to the next person? Because that stare is going to consistently take at least one person out of a battle. Oh, yes. And I mean, you look at frost giants, they're not the smartest creatures to begin with um so i'm not so worried about these guys being overly tactical on the battlefield like we they don't need to be man but they don't need to be right like your average frost giants is not that tactical they're just gigantic uh yeah gigantic physical forces of power more than anything else and that translates well when you start looking at the other types of giants and trying to uh, 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 apply this like a cloud giant's going to do a lot more tactical stuff even as a skeleton than a frost giant will no skeletons have simple commands that they follow yes but they do have that base level of intellect that we were talking about earlier it depends if they're of a cloud giant warrior or a cloud giant spellcaster or a cloud giant just civilian right yeah, yeah. like giants Giants are almost mob creatures themselves, except that if you run into a mob of them, you're fucked. <laughs> um, so let's look at the generic giant skeleton. Okay. Uh, the first thing that makes me raise my eyebrow here is that neutral evil shift. Except for the skeleton keys, which were unaligned because they're essentially just animated traps. This is the only skeleton that isn't lawful evil. This feels more raw and powerful to them. Yeah, I like that though. Like, I like that you are going to end up with something a little bit different. The flavor that you're going to get. Look, Tales of the Awning Portal is in that weird part of fifth edition where I feel like it doesn't always follow the rules, especially Tomb of Horrors. It's off doing its own fucking thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I also know that this came out before the Frost Giant Skeleton did, right? Yeah. So this would have been the very first thing. And it's set up to be a freaking guard. It's more about. I think it being a ogre skeleton that's or a hill giant skeleton. I, I got hill giant really from the flavor of yeah, reading yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's 
they didn't put a whole lot of thought into this. I think that this one was one of the um, one of the ports over from a previous edition that oh, just yeah. Yeah. got now, the was, update I'm, and they didn't go any further. I was going to say, if anybody's ever put in the effort to port over <laughs> to 5e previous edition modules and stuff, <laughs> it often stuff like this gets unbalanced in that process. And I mean, there's not much you could do about it other than playtesting, right? Yeah. Okay. There's something that I caught though. Okay. Dave blitzed by this, but I want to read out the wording of its evasion ability. I want you to tell me what word is missing, Dan. Shoot. If the skeleton is subjected to an effect that allows it to make a saving throw to take only half damage, it instead takes no damage if it succeeds on the saving throw and only half damage if it fails. Did you catch which word is missing? Dexterity. Dexterity. That's true. The evasion works for all saves on this fucking creature. <laughs> yeah. It is shrugging off damage. And it's got some stats. Yeah, it really, really does. That, that, okay, that's got to be a typo. Uh, there has to be an oversight. But again, I feel like this is, because this thing is this raw, magical, like, sentinel guard almost, right? It is kind of a one-off in a very specific adventure, in a very specific location, with its own kind of weird rules. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is going to be the infusion of magic into it that allows it to do this. Well, but it's it's this is a weird one. This is something that I, I did a double take when I ran across this. These things hit hard are a pile of hit points. They um, take half damage from everything. Oh, if, if there's a save involved. If there's a save involved. Potentially no damage if there's a save involved. So you might be thinking, oh, I'll just turn it. No, man. No, you won't. The magical resistance plus the turn uh, uh, immunity, it's just not fair. Even your cleric is hurting fighting these guys. Yes. Yeah, there's no good answer for fighting one of these. And it's one of this kind of secret gems that I'm going to pull out to fuck with the party. Considering I play in a lot of your games, help? There is no help. There's only Zool. <laughs> um, the generic giant skeleton... <laughs> the generic giant skeleton actually feels like its attacks um, aren't going to be as deadly as the frost giant skeleton, just based on the dice that you're rolling. Yeah, yeah. But it is going to be sticking around for a hell of a lot longer. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the Frost Giant Skeleton is meant to be more for a giant-focused campaign or an Arctic campaign, but the plain giant skeleton is uh, set up as a sentry in a lab or something along Yeah, it's, there. it's guarding a tomb of some yeah, sort, right? Yeah, right. Um, you, could, you could pull the giant skeleton out more universally than you can the Frost Giant Skeleton. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of these weird fucking one-offs... Let's jump over to Nick, who says that he's about to explore a cave in some sort of goblin burial ground. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that whatever leftover magic from the Booyogs will probably have a nasty surprise for him. So let's go see what he's doing. Hey guys, I'm back in the woods outside of Neverwinter. I'm not going to believe this, but I think I may have stumbled across some kind of forbidden goblin burial ground. Goblins that live in this area actually seem to be afraid of it. I've been waiting for one of them to come by so I can interrogate it, but they've all been keeping their distance. I made my way into this cave here, and from the looks of things, this place is definitely cursed. I found bodies chained to the walls, all kinds of grotting victims, the works. It seems that this place is dedicated to some demon of pain or something. In the center, there's a heap of bones, or at least it looks like a heap to me. Wait, I think it's starting to move a little. Yes, it is. There's still a little life in there yet. I guess the dark energy of this place is 
keeping it alive somehow. Without getting too close, I'd say this looks like a large swarm of medium-sized undead creatures, possibly a CR2 or thereabouts. If I had to take a guess, I'd say that these are all the fallen priests of this place, each bound here to serve for all time as a guard of some kind. This entire area seems to be dedicated to pain and suffering after all. It moves about as swiftly as a man, I'd say. Not particularly well defended. I can definitely see some scraps of armor mixed in there. Probably armor class around 13. Weaker undead, check. May or may not be sentient, probably isn't. It's got quite a bit of bulk to it though. Around 8 d10 hit dice, give or take 16. The creature seems swifter and hardier than your typical monster, but maybe only slightly stronger. Based on its behavior, its intellect seemed little better than an animal. And while its grasp of its surroundings seemed passable, it was utterly unable to communicate. Considering that this is a composite of skeletal undead, I'd imagine it would have most of the traits shared by its component creatures. It looks like a good solid hit from a mace or a hammer might knock it around, but I don't expect swords and spears to have much chance against it. Like most undead things, it has no circulatory system, so no sense in using any kind of poison against it. No brain either, so mental affecting abilities are right out. Because it was an assemblage of many smaller creatures, anything that might stun or restrain a whole creature seems like it would have little effect. I'm not sure how it senses its environment, but it's been lurking in this pitch dark cave for who knows how long, so I have to assume it can perceive its surroundings. I noticed as long as I stay at least 60 feet away, it doesn't seem to see me. To be honest, it doesn't seem that perceptive in general, possibly because of all the racket it makes. I don't know if you can hear it, but I think if I were any closer, it would be deafening. This skeletal swarm seems to have no problem moving amongst this cave's tightly spaced pillars, occasionally sending chips of limestone flying whenever a hunk of sharpened bone happened to collide with one of the walls. Fortunately, it seemed like you would need to be standing virtually directly in its path before it would pose any real danger to you. Having no real way to strike anything, that's not currently in contact with it. As the swarm winnowed away, so too did its capacity to deal damage, and seeing as it had no way to replenish itself, eventually died out. I feel fortunate to have noticed the swarm before I was directly on top of it. Had I been standing in the eye of it, it could have easily ambushed me, seeing as how, at first blush, it appeared to be no more than a pile of ordinary bones. Alright, I think I've seen enough. I'll pass it back to you guys in the studio. So, um, I love Nick, but I hate the Skeletal Swarm because... It is a large swarm of medium undead. It makes no sense whatsoever that there are these medium skeletons in a large swarm um, because there would only be space really for four right. of them. It, it makes no sense. It should really be more clear about the fact that this creature is an amalgamation of skeletal parts of undead all roiling and clacking together. Yeah, that's what that um, deafening clatter was that he was talking about yeah. as well, which is actually, it does have a, a mechanic. Um, also, because it's a swarm that can take up another creature's space, the clattering of bone on bone action, that's just for you, Dan. Nice. Bone on bone action um, is going to make any creature inside its space deaf. Yeah. Right. So that that's the, what this mechanic is. So I like that. That's fun. And I like that it's just outright resistant to slashing and piercing damage. It's not just vulnerable to bludgeoning. It's resistant to the others. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this goes on to the fact that it is a large-sized swarm. It's a whirlwind of bones. It's a whirlwind of bones. So you are going to be able to cover with this thing as a DM. 
you could use this to cover four of your party members if they're standing all close to each other. Yeah, I really like the idea of putting this in like a narrow corridor. Yeah. Okay, being able to shrug off charmed and frightened conditions is cool, but how do you think that this is going to impact a cleric's turn undead? Um, unless directly mentioned otherwise. I mean, we've had this discussion before. I think we had it with the last one where the turn is not... The turn undead ability is divine magic enforcing its will on an arcane created thing. But so doesn't it separately. doesn't it say in Turn Undead though that the creature is frightened and it says in the stat block that's immune to being frightened? Yes, but a lot of undead are immune to being frightened. So what purpose does Turn Undead have? Are they? I yeah. I mean, some are the for unintelligent sure. ones. I, I wouldn't say that are immune to being frightened. Yeah, zombies and skeletons can be frightened. Ghosts can be. I think ghosts can be frightened. I like, don't think ghosts can be frightened. Well, I, wait, we'd have to do skeleton. Uh, sorry, undead are a big thing, and there's there's probably there's fucking tons. Of there's them, tons but. of them, right? So, I mean, it'll still apply and still be nice. But if it doesn't apply to your run of the mill average skeleton, if it doesn't apply to your run of the mill average uh, skeletal swarm, even like I'm not sure there's a run of the mill average skeletal swarm. Oh, there is in my campaigns now. I love these things. I'm using them all <laughs> over the place. No, I don't. I don't think that the cleric's turn undead is going to work. Not in my campaigns. Really, this is going to be. What what are you turn? There's what is the it's, oh, is the mind that you are affecting on this thing? It is a fucking swarm. Yeah, it, it's a swarm. Doesn't mean it's aimless, right? But like, there's no intelligence behind a swarm. Like swarm rules, you can't you know give it um, temporary hit points or heal it, right? Because it's not one conscious creature. Yeah, it's not like the rat king of skeletal swarms. Exactly. So yeah. uh, so I'm gonna say that no, you cannot charm or frighten this thing. Just like hard stop on that. Sorry, guys. This thing is its own weird. Well, if that's the case, then I guess that makes sense why it can't be paralyzed either. Or uh, I don't know, man. Petrified. I don't know. Like it's magic. If it, okay, if you are paralyzing or petrifying from a magic standpoint, aren't you freezing the animated kinetic shit in the? Oh, actually, then here's here's the thing, and and this goes towards both points probably. A skeletal swarm isn't so much the skeletal side. It's the swarm. It's the wind. It's the essence that is pulling everything together. Sure. So that's why it's immune to being petrified. Because if you petrify a skeletal swarm, it's still... I I understand it's an amalgamation of creatures, but it's still one target, right? If, If you were to petrify it, it would dissipate and you'd kill it in one shot. In theory, yeah. That makes sense. Right? So I think that's why it it gains these immunities. Right. Yeah. Oh, look, I have no problem with the prone, restrained, or stunned being immune to that. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense if it's a fucking swarm. Yeah. Right. You're not going to restrain a swarm. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's just I'm not sure these ones petrified. I could make an argument either way, and I know that I'm being a bit of a hypocrite on it. But like I, I could make an argument. Also, the ability to petrify takes up quite a high spell level. I would be concerned with fair like. Just that that sounds like a dick DM move to be like, nah, you just hit that one bone there. That one femur flying around turns to stone and falls. No other effect. Nah, man. Nah, I would do more than that. I would say roll roll a percentile dice. See how much of the remaining hit points get affected. How much can you hit? Is this a cone or a ray? Is it a choose one spot in the room? If it's a gaze attack, it's not working. These things don't have eyes. Or they've got a billion eyes, right? Yeah, so it's, right? Yeah. So anyway, this one takes a little bit of, again, mental gymnastics around it. But I want to just, last on our docket tonight, I I, I want to talk about Terry. 
Are we, we're just going to talk about Terry? We're yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. We're not going to a clip of Terry. We're just going to talk about him and our concern about his relationship with Derek. It's not so much concern. It's, I mean, I'm supportive. Okay. Um, but uh, I just, I've heard some things about Derek. No, okay, look. So, no, Terry um, is, he's dealing with a creature that is a pile of fun. Okay. Which is actually a pun that nobody gets yet, but I think it's funny, so shut up. Um, but... That, that's a call forward, not a okay, call back. Cool. So uh, a pile of fun. So Terry's got one of the most unique skeletal things that I really, really like. This is my favorite skeletal creature in existence in 5th Ed at this point. Okay, cool. Okay, thanks Adam and Dan for passing it back over to me. I'm still over here with the Green Dragon Inn. Not a whole lot going on today. Place looks Place looks closed. I wonder if it is closed. I wonder if I'm not supposed to be here. But anyway, today I'm talking about the skeletal juggernaut. I'm quite excited to talk about this one. I like the the more interesting creatures out there, and this certainly is um, an interesting collection of creatures. For those of you that don't know, a skeletal juggernaut is essentially a collection of of other skeletons. Twelve, uh, typically twelve skeletons that are all banded together and and move and, and attack and interact with the world as one creature. But then, if they come to their end as a as a joint unit, they'll fall apart and they'll become individual skeletons. But let's look at it properly. Skeletal juggernaut, large undead. Lawful evil. I think lawful evil is right because I imagine them as being single-minded or, or following orders or, or sticking to a particular task rather than just causing absolute havoc and not really following any type of agenda, just sort of doing what they want. So lawful evil, in this sense, does make uh, does make sense to me. Uh, armor class of thirteen. Hit points, high hit points, 19d10 plus 38. That averages out at 142 hit points. Speed of 30 feet. Let's look at these stats. Higher physical stats. Lower mental stats, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, well below average, but strength, dexterity, and con quite well above average, actually. Strength is maxing out there at 16, that's a plus 3. Um, I think that makes sense, I think because they're relying on their physical capabilities. Uh, that is essentially th their weapon. They're not going to be able to interact with the world very intelligently. Uh, they're not going to have too much perception of what's going on around them, and their ability to interact with and understand people, of course, is going to be very low as well. Challenge rating of 5. Well, let's look at these abilities here. This is interesting. I, I love these more interesting creatures. Uh, disassemble. So if the Juggernaut is reduced to zero hit points, 12 skeletons rise from its remains. That's very fun. That's very fun. Let's put a pin in that for how we're going to use that later. Uh, falling apart. If the Juggernaut does not have all of its hit points at the start of its turn, it loses 10 hit points. This is the vision that it's going to start to come apart as it takes damage and pieces of bones and its structure are going to start to, to fall away from itself. Its actions, it has a multi-attack, so the Juggernaut makes two claw attacks. Um, so melee weapon attack for its claws, it's a plus six to hit. It's a reach of 10 feet. This is a large creature. One target, uh, and on a hit, it's going to cause 2d8 plus three slashing damage. Yeah, I think it makes sense to have claws. I mean, I like the idea of having weapons in, in a similar vein to the, uh, a, a minotaur skeleton would, but I understand this is an assembly of, of multiple skeletons. It 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 probably it likely won't, so this makes sense. But how about this? Avalanche of bones. This is recharging on five and six. Um, so the juggernaut collapses into a large heap. They must have taken this flavor text from Dan's one page of flavor text before quickly reforming. Each creature within 10 feet of the juggernaut must make a DC 14 dex saving throw, taking 4d8 bludgeoning damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. A creature that fails this saving throw is also knocked prone. I love this. 
I love this. This is this is an avalanche of bones coming from above, and if you're too close to it, so this makes you think tactically. You're thinking distance. You're gonna you're gonna feel the effects from this. Okay, what I like about this creature. Let's talk about unique idea here. Is it's one large creature made up of many that as you reach zero hit points with it, falls apart and becomes a load of skeletons. A couple of things I have here. I would like that tiered system to continue. So even if you're going to do a little bit of DM creativity, it, and it's, it's special skeletons, however you want to do them, whether it be like a spell or a ritual, whatever. D&D, &D, go nuts, okay? Go nuts, donuts. But it collapses, it becomes 12 skeletons. Those individual skeletons... If you kill individually each of those, I would probably make them like skeletal crawling claws. Two skeletal crawling claws will form from each individual skeleton that's dropped. So it's like a three-level boss, three-level boss fight, and it's, it's going to get uh, very interesting. You stick that on something like a, let's not think, well-swept stone floor at 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Let's think, uh, like, well, let's let's think like a naval battle, like a pirate ship, like a skeletal crew, you know, can form this juggernaut, and then you bring it down to zero hit points, then it becomes 12 skeletal crew members, and then you individually break down those skeletal crew members, and each of those becomes two skeletal crawling claws. And so it's like this tiered system that keeps going even further than that. You could have, as you break down the crawling claw, perhaps those skeletal bones, those little fingers, bones can have something unique about them that you can you can keep maybe they'll have the mending cantrip or something like that because it's because of where it's come from you see we can get creative with these things guys don't just be so uh don't be so linear with it even though there's flavor text here make your game interesting because you're going to have a combination of new players that are going to be fascinated by this but then you're going to have those old those veteran players like like dan out there they, they can smell these things coming a mile off there's no wonder left in this game for dandy c it all okay i'm sure there is dan i'm just messing with you but this is your chance to get even more creative with it use this as inspiration we're all standing on the shoulders of giants to make these encounters much more interesting but that's it for skeletal juggernaut absolutely love this i can't wait to use this in a game the guys know i'm sure that as soon as they play a game with me in the future expect a skeletal juggernaut i'll throw it back over to adam and dan i'll catch you guys next time you can find me on instagram event city terry see you later all right, Terry, fuck you. Things could come in heaps. Like, yeah, damn. <laughs> just because I say it somewhat frequently when I am describing combat that things fall into a heap doesn't necessarily mean that things don't fall into heaps. Terry, piece of shit. You sound awful baleful there, Dan. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> so, anyway, look, before we go any further, you I got was, the point across. I want to say how much fun is Ghosts of Saltmark? So much fun. That book is, I mean, it, it, it fleshes out the mob capabilities in cool ways, pardon the pun. Um, the Skeletal Alchemist, Swarm, and the Juggernaut, like, all three of those come from this book. And they're all really flavorful and amazing. It is definitely one of the unsung heroes of 5th edition, in my opinion. I am just starting to run a small like pirate campaign and have had to look into naval combat rules and Ghost of Saltmarsh did a lot for that as well. Yeah. It is a it is a pickup for sure if you are a DM of any sort of yeah, tenure. But, but I was shocked to see the additions that they added to skeletons. I got it with the Sahuagin. Yeah. I got it for lizard folk, got a big bump, right? And I think Bullywugs got like well, there's a lot, but skeletons too. Saltmarsh is like the Ghost of Saltmarsh book is like Tales of the Yawning Portal. It is a rewrite of a previous only fifty percent of the seven. I think four of them are new. 
Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's quite that much, but yeah. Maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it's t- Yawning Portal. No, Yawning Portal's all Yawning retreads. Portal's all retreads, yeah. Yeah, but it's... it's they, they, they Three or four of them are new adventures. They learned from Yawning Portal and were able to flesh out the Saltmarsh uh, narrative arc from AD&D. Yeah. It's a, it was a little bit better. It's a little yeah. bit better, but like... It makes sense. I just, man, I fucking love this book. Like, shout out to Ghost of Saltmarsh. There's a lot of good shit in there. There really is. Um, so, the other thing that this harkens back to that I really like is the Tyrannosaurus zombie from last episode. Yep. This has got, like, that gotcha moment uh, for the players by spawning undead from a newly destroyed body. Oof. Yeah, in a big way. Yeah, this drops a CR3 battle immediately on the heels of a CR5 battle. Which is going to fuck with your players, regardless of what their CR is. Would you do this to a? Uh, would you do this with a skeletal swarm? The thing that Nick talked about previously. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna randomize it. I'm gonna roll a d6 or a d8 to see how many sure, of these yeah, things okay. pop out. Right. The idea of the juggernaut turning into twelve fucking skeletons is insane. The swarm though is bits and pieces of bones, spot like swirling in a whirlwind and shit. Right. Fair enough. Whereas this thing is a. Like, it's in the shape of a biped moving around, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like the Avalanche of Bones that recharges on a 5-6. Yep. And thematically, it sounds like it should lose hit points. It really does. Just because it's an avalanche, like it, it's landing, it's smashing down, but it doesn't. It just flops onto the party and then reassembles Voltron style. I think that's which, my favorite part about this. Yeah, I, I just like the idea that it's going to walk up to you and just throw itself at the party. And hit multiple people and then get back up again. The other sneaky thing about this creature is that it becomes incredibly dangerous when you throw three of them at a level 11 party. Sure, they're CR5, but they're a weak CR5 because of their low AC, poor tactics, and the fact that you only have to hit it once and run away for it to die. Yeah. So three versus a level 11 seems like an even fight until you see what happens to the action economy afterward. When each one spawns one of those 12 skeletons, shit's about to get nasty, both in the paperwork side and your player's hit points. Well, which raises my next question. Okay. Skeletons have armor and weapons. Sure. Where do they get them from when the skeletal juggernaut falls apart? I I don't think necessarily that they wouldn't have armor. I think armor makes sense. There's nothing in the flavor text at all about it being anything but bones. This harkens back to you talking about the claw attack that skeletons should have. Yeah. Right? Because where are these bits and pieces coming from? You either have to include that, at which point I'm going to up the AC a little bit. Fair. Right? It's fucking armor, right, is floating around in there. Um, and uh, and I'm also going to have it so that, like, maybe a rogue can snatch a weapon out of it. Now, see, now that's fun. Cool. That like, I like that idea of the, the enchanted weapon you're here to get is in the middle of one of these guys. And one of the 12 skeletons is going to stand up with it when it's done. I like that. Yeah, I really, really like that. So uh, before we move on here, I just want to reach out to um, all of the people who have helped us with this process. Whether or not they're on this episode, um, I know the amount of work that has gone in. The weird isolation of sitting in front of a microphone and, and breaking down these stat blocks. It's a lot of work and it's really, really... Uh, and it's really 
hard to get through it sometimes. So I want to reach out and uh, show my appreciation, our appreciation to all of the guys who've been helping us out with this. Thank you guys. We really do um, value the amount of effort you're putting in and, and our constant uh, little directions and uh, jives at you as well. You guys have been really good sports. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, um, for those of you who are listening, who are still sticking with us while we're in the middle of this weird mob tangent that we're off on this, yep. this podcast, um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, please tell everyone that you know about the podcast because word of mouth really helps us. They can find us, of course, on Instagram and Facebook and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. So we're kind of out there everywhere except, I mean, our TikTok page sucks. Yeah. And I don't even want to, I don't think we have touched Twitter in a year. Um, I t- TikTok and Twitter are like blind spots for me, man. Yeah. I mean, I just don't want to know the toxicity of Twitter. Yeah. Um, but... Anyway, um, if you guys have any questions or you want to reach out to us, feel free to ask us questions at any one of those places or at info at itsmimic.com. And we're always looking to collect more mailbag questions. So don't hesitate. Even if it's in your weird, broken English, we know that half of you that exist in Sweden are listening to the podcast. There's like a weird number of downloads from Sweden, like a high amount. And I think their their country's population is like eight people. So yeah. it's got to be everybody, right? <laughs> um, so so send us questions. We can at the very least hit Google Translate um, and then kind of totally fuck up whatever you ask. But anyway, reach out. Let us know if you have any uh, ideas. And if there are any weird other translations as well between it, like english and other editions as, as we go through this is there shit that got missed i'm always curious about that yeah because there's lots of different languages this has been translated into for sure all right so i want to talk about tactics now for skeletons before we before we wrap up this episode okay okay grab your die i want to talk about what you see a skeleton mob bringing to the table sure i got a natural one okay i got a four so i'm looking at how are these guys going to be different than the other mobs that we've talked about yeah for sure um the first thought that i have is that the presence of a necromancer or a desecrated area should be enough to give a gotcha kind of feeling to these guys after a battle so they go through and they will fight a whole bunch of creatures and they will wipe out the i don't know goblin encampment and then a necromancer shows up and says goblins rise and you got to do it again now just a skeleton. Skeletons or, I mean, zombies would work for this too, but yeah. specifically skeletons, I love the idea of them coming back, picking up their weapons and continuing to to move forward. Yeah. The other thing I like about skeletons is, uh, yeah, the, this idea of this uh, necrotic uh, essence bringing them up and giving you that gotcha moment, but I like them as an established visible threat as well. Um, and usually I like them in caves, right? I, I like them... Um, when your party is searching through a, a ancient ruin inside of a cave or something along those lines, being able to see that the skeletons are moving around, going through their motions, going through these routines, right? Brings this interesting stealthy um, kind of combat to the forefront for your campaign. Do you think that if a, one skeleton discovers the party... Them moving and being loud would draw the attention of other skeletons. One hundred percent, yes. I mean, to a less to a lesser degree of a radius than, say, a humanoid uh, force of whatever kind, like an orc or like a orc it's, or a it's goblin, going to pick up to it more. But. Room or two, it's not the yeah. entire dungeon. Is exactly, yeah. 
So these guys are going to be, you can get behind enemy lines quickly then with skeletons. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really like about them is that they're immune to poison. I keep thinking about those husk zombies in that fog that we talked about. And I think about the Mornland from uh, from Eberron, which is just full of toxic poisonous air and whatnot. Why not put zombies inside poison clouds or inside fetid water, which is disgusting and gross and just, stagnant? And just do yourself a favor and clarify the poison rules as a homebrew first. What do you mean? Um, we there's the four different kinds of poison: damage and poison, other things and and stuff like that. If 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 your skeletons are with this realm of poison, understand what effect that's going to have on your party. Well, there's just the two things you need to know. It's a damage type and the poisoned condition. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and I homebrew there being venom and, and yeah. like like we go a little bit overboard with, with some of the other side of, of poison. But the, the toxicity level of the air or the water or whatever... Skeletons are literally shrugging this off. Yep. Your party is not. So that's something to, to keep in mind. What else do you have for, for skeleton tactics? Um, we mentioned earlier, having skeletons be the reinforcements of a undead army is um, a really, really good use for them. Uh, because of this like lower AC, lower hit points than you typically get, um, I... With a standard skeleton, having them be the archery, the ranged side of, of some sort of skirmish, I really, really like. But nothing beats having your skeleton being so customizable with whatever weapon or armor you decide to give it. Yeah. Right? You could really go hog wild with this and they will use it. Um, a um, line protecting your necromancer wizard of a shield wall helmed purely by skeletons sounds badass to me man that's a lot of fun too and i mean they can they're not necessarily added to the action economy too if they're being told hold the line yeah right so what's well, one of the things though that that i think about actually with skeletons is the fact that unlike the other mobs that we've talked about i don't mix and match these guys as a general rule i very rarely have multiples i very rarely have multiple variations of a skeleton in a room yeah now from room to room you can have different like the necromantic magic or the the necromancer or whatever raised everything in this area and put this guy here and made that guy do this but i'm not going to have a skeleton army with a couple of frost giant skeletons and uh war i mean the warhorse skeleton yes that makes sense sure but skeleton keys are not going to be marching with these guys. Skeleton swarms are doing their own thing. No, the juggernaut is doing its own weird thing, right? Like we, a, a lot of these are like uh, centerpiece encounters that have a skeletal uh, feel. But yeah. when you have a mob, your army is just skeletons. It's just going to be skeletons. Yeah, I, I could, I could justify having the alchemist platoon that sit back and lob the acid vials. Oh, sounds like fun, right? But I'm not going to have like. 15,000 different kinds of skeletons. I may flavor them to be, well, some of them are half-orcs and some of them are lizard folk and some of them are, are dwarves, right? Depending on the landscape and the population in the area. But mechanically, they're going to be identical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I also think that a zombie guard is going to pursue an enemy attacker and is going to focus on killing the target. But a skeleton will return to its post if an enemy retreats, right? A zombie will go after the flesh, but a skeleton will be told, protect the door. Yeah. 
when a when a human comes up or a dwarf or an elf or whatever comes up, they'll attack them, but they won't necessarily get into the uh, get into that whole hunting down fight to the death. Yeah, right. Their job is to protect the door, and remember, they're very literal. Do you have anything else that you want to? No, any any other real tactics for? Uh, they're going to hit with range. They're going to they hit with range if they can. Um, they're not. I mean, they're not amazing with melee, but they're not bad. They're not bad. They're they're average. They're a CR quarter, and they they live up to that. Yeah, like and the the fact that they are the most standard. Yet at the same time being the most customizable of the mob, man, I, I I love skeletons. I really do. So let's take a second and look at what you actually do for the uh, home brewing that they suggest in sure. the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yep. All right. So you get the plus two to Dex, minus four to Intelligence, minus four to Charisma. Uh, that all makes sense. That all stacks just fine. But I'm looking at these high wisdom, right? The you're not affecting strength at all, even though there's no bones left, even though there's no muscles left. Right, your con did not get affected. That's some weird. of this, some of this feels a little weird, but okay, fine. You're vulnerable to bludgeoning now. Great. You're immune to poison, and you're immune to exhaustion and poisoned conditions. You get dark vision, sixty feet if you didn't have it before. Yeah, magic. Sure. You understand languages that you knew in life, but you can't speak. We know all this, right? Yes, yeah, all this is standard. Yeah. So, how do you feel about the fact that the DMG doesn't really address any of the other features, like I spoke about with the Minotaur before? Yeah. Um, we, we've been kind of sitting on this for a little bit. I understand why, but do you have any insights on where a DM should be drawing the line when they're choosing which abilities to keep during skeletal homebrews? If some, uh, if, if something is a, uh, product of its physicality, I am more willing to leave it in than if something is the product of its magical essence, right? Yeah. So like a... Dragon skeleton, uh, depending, right? Like if you have well, a draconic skeleton, which I mean, we have Draco liches, but... It, but that's a different thing. That's a different thing. If you have a draconic skeleton, I don't see it getting a breath weapon. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Right, because that, that feels more supernatural. I mean, uh, or sorry, it feels more... Uh, it's based on its its physiological essence. Than yeah, the, right. the anatomy and the biology of the meat that's attached to it. Yeah, honestly... Also, like if you have like a CR, uh, sorry, a intelligence twenty creature that then becomes a skeleton, it's still got an intelligence of sixteen, which means it would still be book smart, but it's not. But the wisdom doesn't change. Is it able to cast spells? No, it can't. You have unless, uh, sorry, somatic spells, yes. Verbal spells, no. Absolutely not. No, because I don't think it knows what it's doing. Remember, these guys, unless that, unless it is a somatic component only spell that it casts all of the time yeah right over and over and over again and then it gets stuck in that infinite loop of just like casting light right or whatever it is right whatever uh uh, true strike yeah there you are over and over and over again and just casting it on the nearest thing which is the skeletal parrot over in the holy shit this is a good use for true strike we found the true the good use for true strike i wouldn't go that far there's no good use for true strike true strike it's just a somatic spell that involves pointing a finger that's yeah. all you need to do for it. Yeah, but I've got something better to do with with any action. But as a, it's not just you; it's your target. You could hit with true strike. Yeah, having a necromancer bolstered by a bunch of just true strike. Oh, oh yeah, you know what? That's not a bad idea, right? That, that's kind of fun. Like, holy crap! That's amazing. We found a use for true strike. Go us. 
I don't know. Okay, so here's what I come down to. It's necromantic magic that is animating these skeletons, but it's not animated object. It's not awakened object. It's just necromantic magic that is giving it its own special kind of, of reanimation. Yeah. Can a magical force cast magic? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm weird on that this one. This is one of those things that's like, Watsi's been vague about some of this. Not that 3.5 would have clarified this any well, easier for oh, us. Yeah, you know what? Look, oh, fine. Yes, no. 3.5 would have, but it would have given us eight different answers in different books. So let me, let me ask you this. Will Dispel Magic or an Anti-Magic Field knock a skeleton down to just a pile of bones? Oh. It, I, the answer for me is no. It is an undead creature at this point. It was magic that animated it in the first place. Okay. Yeah, no, I see where you're going with that. I mean, we did say that it did not make sense for that to affect a zombie. So why would it affect a skeleton? Right. And and so I'm going to let it do that. At which point it's a creature. So sure, it can cast. Sure. I guess that's my mentality. Write to us. Those of you listening, write to us and on the subreddit and let us know. Yeah. All right. Sure. We will get into a debate and I will tell you all the reasons why whatever Dan says is wrong. Oh, <laughs> Which is what happens in every every. <laughs> thread on the subreddit. <laughs> um, do you have any uh, interesting plot hooks or ideas from mini campaign or anything? These guys are kind of fodder. There's not, it's not like orcs who have a, a plan. There's not gnolls that are out there. Yeah, with a, a lot of the plot hooks you're going to come up with are not specifically related to skeletons. But it's the what, necromancer. It's the, ne- well, even if it is specifically the skeleton, it's who the skeleton was in a previous life. And what they have on them currently as well. But like they're trying to find the skeleton of that ancient paladin that happens to have the Holy Avenger on his body. Yeah, but you're not, he's not making plans, right? That, like, that's a plot hook. Go hunt him down and get it. Yeah. Right? But the only thing that he's doing is attacking the next farm down the road over and over yeah. and over until he runs out of road. And he's just going to march along using skeletons as undead, or sorry, as uh, messengers is the only way I see them being direct, like instigators as they hand that note over or whatever it is. Yeah, honestly, for me, it comes down to the necromancer, the desecrated area, the lich, the whatever it is. I expect to find skeletons in Tomb of Annihilation and Tomb of Horrors. I expect to find them in, well, all over Ravenloft. Oh, yeah. Right, so, and and Barovia. I'm expecting to see undead and therefore skeletons, but as a standard plot hook, they're they're cool for a mini hook, like the skeleton key, mm-hmm. right? It, I can get a fun little um, MacGuffin out of the Juggernaut or the Swarm, like we talked about before, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, I, like there's not a whole lot in the way of campaign work here. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, man. Um, I I do love using skeletons when I have an undead campaign. They're everywhere, right? I often overlook them when I don't have an undead campaign, though. And I would say uh, all those other DMs out there that are similar in that regard, skeletons could fit into any campaign you put together. And they could fit in as a mob in any campaign you could put together. Yeah. So use them in every campaign. They will never get old. They will never get dry. Except they are literally... Except they're old and dry. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's my last thought. And I thought this about the zombies, but I didn't say anything. I'm going to say it now about skeletons as well. You know how you get the range of hit points? Yeah. Right? You're 2d8 plus 4, four. whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. So I'm always going to give them the hit points based on 
how together their undead body still is. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. So the more that like composed that skeleton is, the more hit points it's going to have. As you run across ones that are, you know, broken and a couple of the, the bones are, are cracked. Are, and, yeah. yeah. There's going to have fewer and fewer hit points. And that's, it's not going to affect the AC. I'm going to do it for zombies too. A fresh zombie resurrects with the most, like maximum hit points. If it's half rotted and shambling down the road with one arm and half its head missing, it's going to have a fraction of the hit points. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't limit its action limbs, but the description of it is going to change. Yeah, and frankly, I think that that is how Dungeon Masters should be looking at it. I guess telegraphing exactly what they should be doing in the uh, or, and I think this is a way for Dungeon Masters to be telegraphing kind of the mechanics behind the story as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that a lot of people struggle with. They either do the mechanics or they do the lore really well when the two should blend together. So, I mean, that's all that we could find in 5th edition on skeletons, but we got lots of other kinds of mobs to cover. So don't forget to come back next week when we take a look at Lizard Folk. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think is the first one that we're going to cover that we didn't already do a drive-by of in a previous episode, right? Cool. yeah. Um, that's it. For this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, if you'd like to support us, you can head over to www.itsamimic.com and hit our donate button there. Or you can tell our your friends. Don't tell our friends. Tell your friends. <laughs> our friends know. We won't shut up about it. Tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. And hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. We've been talking a lot this week about those bony bastards we call the skeletons. Did you know there are 206 bones in the adult human body? That's what Wikipedia just told me. Which begs the question, I know everybody is asking right now, guys. What? is the best bone. Let's roll initiative on this so, fucking yeah. nonsense. Sure. Fine. You know what answer she's looking for. Oh, I think we have rolled a one. One of us rolled a one in every single Every three. single one. Alright, um, you're up first with a three. Yikes. Yeah, I mean I mean the two hundred and seventh bone, right? That's that's what we're we're going for. That's the, that's the answer she wants. The Orcus's wand? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she's looking for here. Yeah. Um honestly I'm gonna say a rib, but only because of my name. Boo. What? What? Boo. You just get booed for that. Oh, it's the Skeletal Alchemist, don't you know? Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>